Welcome to the Spitball Sessions. Prepare to enter the world of mechanics, the future of game creation, the evolution of design. With your two hosts, Josh Noyes and Luke Boulay, this is the dawning of the new age of remakes. Oh, you didn't know? Well, you're better call somebody! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the podcasting team proudly present to you its Tag Team Champions of the World, the JOSH to the noise, and badass Luke Boulay, the Spitball Sessions. And if you're not down with the Spitball Sessions, we've got two words for you. Review us. I'm joined today by my co-host, as I mentioned in the out intro, uh, Luke who apparently uh, forgot to mention that I was our wrestling correspondent last week. So... Yes, apparently, and I'm suffering for it now. <laughs> Hi, Josh. Hello. Did Are you glad you got that out of your system? No, I'm really not. I hate <laughs> the New Age Outlaws. Okay, good. The New Age Outlaws I... were made up of um, uh, Billy Gunn, and uh, the Road Dog was actually the son of uh, the... Very, very famous Jerry the King Lawler, who used to be a professional wrestler. You can actually see him in the movie uh, Man on the Moon, uh, where he because he actually had a, an actual on, ongoing thing with uh, Andy Kaufman. Uh, unfortunately, his son did not do so well after um, he left the WWF for being fired for being high on meth. Uh, he then went on to lose all of his teeth, and then he tried to come back uh, as a recording artist, and it didn't go so well. Uh, so speaking of doing things that you really... Uh, Speaking of footsteps you really don't want to follow in, uh, today we're going to be talking about the concept of contra design, which is not how to design contra. I was wondering about that when you put that. I'm like, yeah, I like contra. That's, that sounds like fun. Nobody likes contra. Well, yeah, I guess actually everybody loves contra. But uh, no, it's it's actually um, the idea of designing through contradiction or designing by uh, going contrary to uh, existing uh, properties. Okay. So... I actually came across this when I was listening to a Cosmic Encounter interview, or an interview with one of the designers of Cosmic Encounter on the Ludology podcast. Okay. Back like three, four years ago now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and for all those people who are more into video games and board games, uh, we've covered a Cosmic Encounter in our board game we podcast. Did, actually, yes. Uh, and it is a rather expansive board game with a whole bunch of fun details such really, as really interesting mechanics uh, a lot of it is it, it's about um conquering planets and i think the really interesting concept one that is 30 years ahead of its time i guess because the game first came out in the late 60s was the idea that you could both uh have a solo win or a shared win uh, which was something really really new at the time and and i mean it didn't even, didn't show up in video games to almost 30 years you know 25 30 years later i guess like early 2000s was really where you started to see a lot of co-op type gaming yeah um and one of the things that this guy talked about is the fact that they designed it by uh looking at games they didn't like at the time like risk risk was one that he really talked about because that was kind of the big one of the day and really not liking certain aspects of risk such as if you're knocked out in risk you know you're sitting there for could be hours while everybody else plays and also that all of the players played basically the same basically the only major change was you know where your your starting locations like if, if you played it randomly you might start in different places and that would affect how you played but if you didn't play randomly you might even have a set opening strategy and so 
Again. And also, I think another thing that, that may have been mentioned here, but something that I, I, I know that when you compare Cosmic Encounter to Risk is that um, taking that one step further, if you're not actually playing a turn in Risk, you're just watching the board and wondering right. what's going to happen next. In Cosmic Encounter, you're actually involved in everyone else's plays. I mean, in, in, in Risk, you're kind of involved because you still have to roll the dice, but that almost makes it worse because you can't just go off and get a beer or something. You mean between between runs? Like between between rounds, like you still have to roll the defensive dice. Oh yeah, if they're if you're being directly attacked. If you're being attacked, but I mean that makes it worse because you then just have to sit there and not do anything except right. roll the dice. So you can't go off and get a beer. You can't go have a snack. Well, I, I was I was talking more more specifically because I mean in both games there's an attacker and there's a defender. Right. But in Cosmic Encounter, you give the other players the opportunity to decide whether or not they're going to participate right. in the battle. Right. I mean, yes, that's that's exactly. So there's, there's so, actually thought involved even when you're not at yeah they're, they're, you're always thinking about the the game board the milieu as it as it were uh even when you're not actively taking a turn because it still could affect you and you right. have to strategize around that um so yeah a lot of it was was really designing against uh risk and and there are other games that have definitely done that of the well i don't like this concept so i'm going to design an entire game around proving that you know trying to do the opposite of that concept Mm -hmm. um, so I thought maybe maybe it would be fun to talk about some games that either we like that we'd like to maybe uh, design against or some games we don't like that maybe we could try designing against. I figured this this would give us both maybe a chance to talk about some, you know, not do like a top 10 favorites or least favorites kind of thing, but it would be nice. You know, I think people might be interested in some of the games we do and don't like. And yeah, also that's going to have to get me some thinking, though. If, if we have some, Well, I, I actually have one that I could start off with that, I, you know, I, I've heard brought up occasionally before, but... Um, Mm -hmm. This is actually sort of a combo of, of games that I like and games that I don't like, but it's definitely a thing that I'm starting to get sick of. Yeah. Um, so open world games. Oh, yeah. I like open world games. I think most people kind of enjoy open world games to some extent or another. Yeah. Um, but I'm really like I bought uh, Metal Gear Solid 5 recently. I know I've played that on stream a couple times. I don't know if you've actually gotten to see me play it yet, but it's a, like one of the two. One of the two open world maps is about half of the uh, half of the country of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Or at least a significant portion. And there are times where it will take you 30 or 45 minutes just to get across the map to do a single mission. Um, like, and Just Cause is kind of the same way. I feel like worlds keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, but there's nothing really in the majority of that world. Um, it's always very difficult to actually fill an area in it, any open world. It's, it's game. difficult to fill, and especially like there's buildings which they, like you can never go inside most of them. Maybe, maybe two or three if there's mission specific. Um, but even like Saints Row, which is a game, Saints Row 3, which is a game I absolutely, absolutely love. There's about 40 buildings that you can walk into in an entire city. Um, it's not much. Which is not much. I mean, there are probably four or 5,000 buildings in there and 30 of them are enterable. And, and so I was thinking, specifically, let's talk about a game that I don't like, that I think made was made worse from a game I think you and I both really like. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people really love is uh, Batman. The, uh, the Batman Arkham Asylum to Batman Arkham City. Yeah. I think Arkham... I'm not one of the people who thinks Arkham Asylum is perfect. I liked Arkham Asylum. I didn't love Arkham Asylum. I loved the stealth parts of Arkham Asylum. I didn't like the fighting so much. But I think Arkham City is so, so, so much worse than Arkham Asylum. And I think a lot of the problem is they went from the asylum to the entire... Or, or, or a large chunk of the city of Gotham. Right. Yeah. And I think that going to the large, massive open world really made that game 
worse and made that game almost to the point of just being so boring because there's just so much stuff there and so much chaff and so much just garbage. And again, I don't hate Arkham Asylum. I still, I still think it's an okay game. Um, but like I never did. I didn't, I didn't even beat the game, much less do all 400 of those Riddler trophies. And I don't think most people did. Um, so I actually was thinking, you know, we, we've heard groups, especially certain podcasts, I think, where, you know, it's very popular to talk about those small spaces like, uh, you know, I know Last Express is very popular because the entire game takes place on a single uh, train, like yep. on six c- train cars. Um, but I'd, I'd like to see sort of a mid-ground, uh, small scale space, like maybe three or four city blocks or maybe a small town somewhere. Like I was specifically thinking of, of the movie Heat, which is a movie about a major bank heist, which 80% of the movie takes place in a single block as right. the bank robbers try to escape. I mean, now, obviously, the the obvious thing to do with that, with Heat, would mean turn it into a first-person shooter, which is not really an open-world type of game. But I think there are other kinds of games you could do with a single city block or, or a few city blocks where you could go into each and every single one of the buildings and explore them, and they are... Bit, you know, and they are very detailed and very intricate. Like you could have a game about, I don't know, maybe somebody has to evacuate uh, before a flood, mm-hmm. and you have to get all these people out. Or, or you are a um, an EMT. Well, you know, that might be an interesting concept for a game. Um, something along the veins of uh, of that, I like, and maybe just making it like building specific, so you have a mission to arrive at a building that's surrounded by water because mm-hmm. the area's been flooded and you're trying to rescue people and get them to the, back to the roof, top floor and there's stuff to get in the yeah, way obstacles opponents of some kind wild animals maybe yeah, just wild animals some sort perfect. of some sort of weird i don't know I, I, i'm i'm reticent to say something like post-apocalyptic but something like that something really bad that happened that i mean honestly and, and this is kind of dark but my first thought was a game about trying to rescue people right after the world trade center like the World Trade Center attacks. I mean, that's a really, really dark game. But, oh, you know, well, I mean that that whole thing took place in about three city blocks. I mean, we we have friends who went and helped out. Like they left work early and 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 went to go help evacuate people. Like, yeah, you know, and and they were about two blocks away from where it happened. So it was a very small. It, it was. I mean, it was large scale because it took place in New York, and, and a city block is still a mile or so long. I think I think you could probably tell a really interesting story with something like that, yeah. where where you you've got uh, like following the the certain people, and yes. and maybe like it's not just a single thing, but it's multiple stories I, all I, all ending the same way. I I think that would actually be how you do it, rather than making it an open world in the sense of the scope of the world itself, you make it an open world in the scope of the people whose lives you follow. Like if you had uh, a police officer, a fireman, a nurse, and like somebody whose job was to like, like a call center type person, like somebody who was monitoring all of these people and dealing with all four of them at the same time and sort of flipping back, like actually not that far off from how GTA five handles its heist stuff. I think that would be a really interesting way to do it. Or on the flip side, if you want to, because nobody ever, nobody ever seems to want to play positive games about helping people, um, <laughs> you could basically do the, you know, we could we could actually turn it into heat and basically make it play out like the GTA Five heists, which I think are really really fun. Like that was the only part of that game I actually enjoyed. Um, and I mean, going around and playing as four different people trying to do something cool is great. You could do you could do a cat bur- you could do like a Mission Impossible style cat burglary. 
Uh, you could do Ocean's Eleven style crazy heisting. I mean, you could have it take place on a cruise ship, just like Ocean's Twelve. Actually, you got me thinking of an idea that okay. might be a little too controversial, but we'll see how this turns out. I can always cut it. Well, uh, you know how uh, a lot of games um, they follow the the theory of like uh, empowerment yes. and stuff like that, and the idea that you can just do whatever you want. Imagine playing a game, and we're we're actually pulling away from the whole open world to a small world. It's could okay. be an open world game, but where you're a police officer. Okay. And the entire point of the story is to kind of like to to help because I've seen a lot of this and 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 I think it's something that a lot of people miss out on is a lot of hate against police officers. Yes, especially and, recently that's become a very trendy topic. And uh, there's a guy on YouTube called Mike the Cop who yes. made a really good point. I saw one of his videos. He said that uh, the numbers the numbers are there that any uh, with the amount of people who have been killed recently. Mm-hmm. In in violent acts, uh, ev- not even illegal, just like a, a situation where a police officer had shot and killed a person, even when it was it properly done. Yes. The chances of you dying from an incident like that are lower than most things that can uh, are lower than most of the like getting lightning strike. Right. You it's, can die it's, from it's a extreme. lightning strike a lot, a lot. Right. It, it, like the chance of actually being killed by a cop are very low. The reason it's controversial is because many of them are in situations that some people might find suspicious. Well, and well, more than that, it's just because it's um, or, it's or so readily find, publicized. Right. Well, that too, certainly. And and so these situations, uh, uh, the very rare occasions, are told to everyone, so everyone thinks it's far more prevalent than it actually is. And also on top of that, it's like a big talking point right. for a lot of people. But my point would be, it would be interesting to put people in a situation where they're a police officer dealing with scripted or or just dynamically generated Mm -hmm. situations, but you actually have to follow code. Yeah, uh, there actually was a game uh, that came out about two years ago called, um, shoot, Giant Bomb did a video about it. It was called like Police Search Action Rescue, Search Rescue Rescue Action or something like that. Um, And it kind of was trying to be that, except it was terrible um (laughs) like to the point that like you could literally just drive up like drive up the side of a mountain cliff and stuff like the game was just terrible bad bad game bad bad game bad execution the whole thing was just was awful but like it did actually deal with some of those ideas like hey guess what if you get into a gunfight you're not going to take more than a bullet or two and you really can't just arrest anybody you come across because you'll get fired and Mm -hmm. you know yeah i have or, or even like, I think that would be interesting, and I also think it would be interesting to actually have situations where there, there was actually a really good video that I saw recently where people were put into like who had never been cops mm-hmm. were forced to go through that sort of cop training of do I shoot at this person? Yeah, because they've got you know they're reaching for something in their pocket. Should I shoot them or not? Like, are they going to pull a gun on me? And you know, and I'm not saying this to defend. Or make a point about either side, but it is fascinating when you are that high on, you know, that ramped up on adrenaline, how quickly your threat perception changes. Oh, yeah. And obviously when you have, you know, we've talked about this before with things like uh, survival games. You know, when you have that screen between you and the game, the the adrenaline is, you know, the adrenaline response becomes... You know, vicarious. It is. It is a secondary. It is not a primary adrenaline response. You are not worried about your own safety. No, it's a complete difference than when you're actually out there. But, but I still think that at least to some extent, if you were put in a game, if that happened in a game, and you know, you came across, you were running down a, a perpetrator, and you realize, you know, who's running away with running away. You know, let's say he 
stole 50 bucks or something from a cash register and he grabs something in his pocket. Well, now you have to decide, is he going for a cell phone? Is he going for a knife? Is he going through a gun? How do you do that? Because, I mean, there are proper codes for dealing with a lot of those stuff. Mm -hmm. And how do you deal with it? And I think, yeah, I think that would absolutely, like both as a, I mean, people say they want games about issue, like issue gaming. I think that would be an, an, A, an excellent issue game, B, an an actually fun issue game. Mm-hmm. And see an actually interesting game in general, in the same way that I think that game that they made about um, about two years, two or three years ago, that was a strategy game about f- putting out fires, was really fascinating because it was things like you can't put your back to a fire because that will kill you, mm-hmm. um, and you you know you have to think you know it was like you had a team of firefighters and you would have to basically walk them through the building, sort of in like tactics style, like Final Fantasy tactics type thing, or. Um, like that SWAT game that I had, Door Kickers. Right. Um, and it was things like, okay, you have to think about clearances. You have to think about, if I kick open this door, is the flame going to fly up and hit me in the face? Yeah. Because that's... Backdraft is always a problem. Backdraft is a huge problem. Um, and, and it's things that, like, even my own company, when we when they made their fire, fire escape plan, did not think of. Um and was something I actually had to point out to them. So, like, it's something that people just don't understand because they don't deal with it on a day-to-day basis and how dangerous even just some basic concepts of evacuation are. Like, don't run through a door if there's a fire on the other side of it because it could kill you. Um, especially if it's a glass door. Like, because it could just explode yep. in your face. And, like, I really think that things like that can be great, like, both as games and as teaching tools, which I'd love to see more games... You know, like Oregon Trail, I think, is a great example of a game that is a teaching tool by being fun. Like, it is not a teaching tool in the sense that, oh, in 1847, the Oregon Trail happened, and this is now we are going to learn about it while we play a game. It's, no, you learn about what the Oregon Trail was like by experiencing it yourself. And I think it would be really, you know, I think that there are intuitive things you can learn about it. In the same way that I really learned a lot about why SWAT tactics are the way they are uh, for playing door kickers. Yeah. Oh, I had never thought about the fact that you can't just walk into a room because you'll get shot in the back. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, It's really fascinating. So, yeah, that's, so that's a, that's an idea. I think we have, we got a couple of good ideas out of that. And uh, here's, here's one I want to throw at you and see what you think. Okay. Um, I know you've mentioned this before in the past. Okay. And it's, it's something that, you know, bothers both of us in, in like Minecraft building games. Right. The biggest thing that we have an issue with on any of those games is what? When you build something? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, I think we talked about that in our very first episode a little bit. Yeah, I think we did. Yes. So, what kind of game would you... We can revisit that. Okay. What kind of game would you build that would make it matter? I I mean, I I still think going back to the, the making the survival actually based on... I mean, which was kind of our the, the idea we came across in the first episode, which is making the survival based on how you expand, uh, I think would actually make it more interesting. And I think actually some games, like between Astroneer, uh, and I've seen a couple of recent alpha releases, I think other games are actually starting to pick up on that. Uh, Subnautica even is, is one that I think is sort of doing that idea, which is making... Um, survive, you know, making, making building both a survival idea... And a, um, uh, uh, you know, not just inherently artistic, but so I, having some functional, uh, functional elements to it, like a, a good example of that, I think, would be the latest Fallout. 
Mm, where yes, the building the bases actually allowed you to create ways to defend yes. settlements. And I would actually say, I, I might even take that even further, and I would even make it maybe not a Minecraft game so much as like a like a cross between like that and Dwarf Fortress and turn it into an actual like fortress-style defense game where you're building... Like, where rather than having the zombies, or, or even like Craft the World, which we talked about last week, where rather than just having the zombies as this sort of ambient threat outside, they're actively coming after you, and you want to set up an, a very efficient fort to both be able to stockpile. Oh, actually, Do you know what would be great? There was, a game, there was a game I wanted to talk about last week that actually does this a little bit, which is called Dig or Die, where it is this concept between um, expanding and being efficient about expanding and also being able to protect yourself because the monsters are very, very, very good at getting to you. That's sorry, cool. Sorry. Yeah, I'll Go have ahead. to check that out. Uh, I was thinking um, what would probably be a great idea, mm-hmm. actually, uh, and this is completely unrelated to what well, Actually, it might not be. Um, what if you were to actually take Fallout and mm-hmm. Dwarf Fortress and mash them together? Think about it. Think about it this way. Instead of being able to directly build structures... You would have yourself a community, mm-hmm. and not not specifically in Fallout, but just like the first person perspective, where you wander around as a person and you you assign building, mm-hmm. and then people have to come and actually build it. Like you have construction guys that will come and do the building. You get people gathering resources to build. I mean, with aside and- from the perspective, is that that much different from say Populous or? Um, well, I don't or, know. Or even like King, uh, Kingdoms and Castles was one of the or uh, Kingdoms and. Kingdoms and something was uh, kingdom, I think it was Kingdoms think, and Castles. I think it would be much more um, immersive in a lot of ways well, because because sure. well not only just going out and assigning but like as a as a thought maybe just like the building takes a while like so you could build but you could build one piece at a time but like say it takes a minute to build a structure so you, it would be much more cost effective uh, cost effective and efficient for you to have other people building along with you sure. like you mark it out and then you can grab resources and start building as well and other people will come and help you and in your when you get attacked by whatever in this game is attacking mm. you you can fight and the people around yeah. you will fight i i i i actually think that'd be cool i'd actually love to see them I, i'm hoping that at some point they plan to do that for medieval engineers yeah um, oh yeah medieval engineers would fall I'm, I'm right just, into that i'm just not sure that it's that much different from just a first person like banished though um well it in some ways, it would be. Maybe, maybe I'm just not understanding it, it what you're like, talking about. It, it's blending the two because you have the the oversight mm-hmm. part of it, uh, wherein you're like the the authority. So you have to like plan out the entire structure, right? But then you're also one of the people, so you're also involved in building. Oh, I see. And, okay. and and defending and all that other stuff. So it kind of is like best of both worlds, and then people could actually join in and and be people yeah that's true and we could also take into account what you were talking about the other day about the whole wolf pack thing where you could actually have people jump in as as opponents and try to break into the fortress that that would actually be cool which i mean make actually makes me think that maybe we should just uh, start doing a stream where we join a actual public uh uh medieval engineers server and and siege somebody well or or yeah i mean build our own castle and siege people yeah yeah that could be fun so a game that i really like your wife likes, and I think you kind of like, and I, I, I wish I liked. Let's go with that. Is uh, the the Smash Brothers series? But oh, yeah. Smash Brothers really like everything about Smash Brothers frustrates me. Partially the community, like some of it's definitely the community. Oh yeah. Um, like the 
like, I mean, that is the, the, the game that coined the term stop having fun, guys. So, like, you know, to some extent, like, that stuff irritates me a little bit about, you know, the way that people play that game. But just, like, everything about that game, and, and maybe it's, this also goes back to the community, but the fact that people just take it so seriously and try to turn it into a fighting game. But, I mean, that game isn't designed, like, really does, is, has never felt to me designed like a fighting game. But I feel like what it could be is a really good... Like, if you took a fighting game and tried to use some of the ideas in Smash Brothers, because, like, I also don't like fighting games that much, because the thing that I hate about fighting games is, especially the Street Fighter-style fighting games, is I am terrible with a joystick. I cannot pull off a quarter... Like, I can pull off a quarter circle, let's say, 30% of the time. And I know that it's, well, you gotta practice, and if you put in 100 hours... You know, if you put in 100 hours on anything, you will eventually get good at it. If I sat down right now and started doing art, eventually, I would probably be as good at art as you are. Assuming you don't do any more. Assuming. Um, well, I mean, uh, how I much mean, do I do these days? Well, I mean, <laughs> you do it for work, so you... <laughs> to a certain extent, yeah. but yeah. Oh, but I mean, if, if, if I was to sit down right now and start learning Corel Draw, at some point I would probably be at least good enough that I could mimic you, if not actually do the stuff you do in it. Because if you do anything long enough, eventually you will at least develop a skill for it, if not necessarily a talent. Yeah, I mean, that's the best way to, to do to learn anything is right and and, and i realize that to some extent fighting games are a skill they are you know the people who are top tier fighting game people are people who love fighting games and that is just all that they do and they love it yeah and they develop they develop patterns and right but the problem is that like for people like me i would love to be good at a fighting game but i i mean and we've talked about this a little bit before i just never you know, i don't have like a i don't have the group to play against b i don't have the I mean, call it cowardice if you want, call it whatever. You know, I just don't have the patience to go online and get beaten down and 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 beaten down, and beaten down until I'm like, I don't mind losing a game, but guess getting worked over and over again just doesn't help me. A in body any can way. only take so much turpentine. Right. But I mean, it's also like, I don't like just getting completely trashed never makes me feel like I'm improving. If I was playing against people mm. of my own level, that would be fine. Like, I, you know, when I go on Overwatch, I, you know, play Overwatch, I can play people who are about my skill level or I play with people who, or they'll put in people on the team who are about my level. What kind of, what kind of match, uh, I mean, I, this is just out of the blue, the, the online um, Smash, how much, what kind of matchmaking does that have? Does that... I don't know. I've never actually played it online um, hmm. because I play against you guys because you guys actually are, you guys are better than me, but I don't mind losing to you because you're friends. Well, I'm not that much better than you. You're not. Your, wi your wife is, and, and your brother-in-law is very good. And, oh, he's very um, good, yeah. And who is that? Uh, Aaron was very good. or uh, Robbie? Yes, Robbie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was very good. But, you know, like, we have friends who are very good at it, and, and I mean, you and I are about the same level. Your wife is better, and your, your brother-in-law is slightly better than her. But I don't mind losing to you guys. Like, I don't mind losing to you guys in Mario Kart either, because we're friends, and, you know, I'll lose a few matches, and I'll be like, all right, let's play something else. But like, but I'm even just talking from a like from a repeatability of moves standpoint. From a like the way that certain things are done in in Super Smash Brothers are why I say it's not a fighting game and why it weirds me out that people treat it like a fighting game because like all the finishing moves are single button combos. Like you press right as hard as you can and immediately press A or B or whatever it is at the same time. But like I like the idea of a fighting game where you have very specific single button inputs or very specific dual button inputs as opposed to complex 
So it's more about the rock, paper, scissors, <laughs> making sure that right. you're you're using the right maneuver, not so much your actual hand coordination. Right. Like actually one game that I really think did take this and did do some amazing I mean, or at least went one really interesting direction is the game Dive Kick by Iron Galaxy, who also made an actual very hardcore fighting game, Killer Instinct, uh, the new Killer Instinct, which is very good and actual fighting players really like it. Yeah, we've played a, <clears throat> We've played Dive Kick, and I, uh, what I remember about that game is it had, what, three moves, is, jump, dive, is, and kick. Well, no, it is dive and kick. Or uh, Well, you could jump up, couldn't you? Jump, or jump that... is called diving. Oh, okay. Uh, so you could jump. You could kick, and then you could do a super move. And that's all you can do. But, I mean, that game has all of the has all of the tension that I have ever had in any fighting game that you and I have ever... More than most fighting games you and I have ever played. Because one or the other of us is terrible at, at any fighting game we have ever played. Yes. Because one of us owns the game and plays it more. <laughs> um, like, I was really good at that stupid fighting game that we used to play at my house. And you were really good at Soul Calibur. Uh, that was Matt, actually. Well, you were dec- you were better than I was at Soul Calibur, and then I learned how to be really cheap at Soul Calibur. Um, <laughs> that would be Dave. Yeah, Dave, and, and, Dave taught and, you how to be cheap at Soul Calibur. No, I, I figured out Soul Calibur myself. Dave taught me how to oh, be cheap at X-Men. I, I remember <laughs> Matt wanting to kill Dave on Soul Calibur because yeah. Dave used the cable. No, that's Marvel vs. Capcom. What is it? Yes. Oh, you're right. Soul oh. Calibur is the one that had Link in it oh, for one of the games. Did it? Yes. Oh. Um, but basically, there was a move where you Oh, could I just, had that on the PlayStation 2, didn't I? Where you could just, or I borrowed it from someone. And, yeah, or I, I... No, I think I had it on the GameCube. Oh, right. But either way. Um, but there was a move where you could just knock somebody down and then just pummel on them and pummel on them and pummel on them until they could stand up again. And <clears throat> it was a cheap move, but it let you win. Um, there were counters for it. And if you got... And, you know, and it was it's one of those, like... The thing about high-level fighting gameplay, as I understand it, is... Once you get to the point where you can reliably pull off the moves, it comes down to the rock, paper, scissors, the mind games, the, is he going to do this move that I know will beat me, or am I going to do this move that if I counter with it will allow me to beat him? And that goes on the whole time. But the problem is most of us never see that in the same way that most of us never see high-level StarCraft play, because you have to get to such a high level that pulling off those moves comes second nature. It's rock, paper, scissors where you actually have to like cut out of, I don't know, origami fold a rock, a paper, or a scissors. And and that's what I really liked about Dive Kick is it did cut out a lot of those things and it did just get to, well, if if this guy jumps and then immediately kicks, I know I can't get out of the way, but if I jump before he does, then I can get him. But if he jumps in this certain way, after I do that, he might actually be able to get out of the way and then immediately count. You know, it turns all of that into all of the mind games immediately. It's uh, what, um, oh shoot, I forget his name. Uh, what, one of the guys who programs, um, who programmed the, the most recent uh, Street Fighter II release, Sellison uh, or something, I'll, I'll, I'll get the name and put it in the notes, um, but he calls it Yomi which is the idea of this like constant snap back and forth of, well, if I do this, he's going to do this. And if he does that, then I need to do this. And if I do that, then I need to do this. So I'm going to do this thing and hope that he counters with this, you know, which at that point turns it not that far into a very, very fast paced chess game Mm -hmm. of, you know, if you play chess, you know, well, if I move my knight, then he's going to counter with his bishop. But if I move my rook, then he's going to do this. So I'm going to do this thing and hope that he does this other thing. And I think Smash Brothers allows you to do that, except for the fact that Smash Brothers is so cluttered with other things because it's not really about the precision of the fighting. 
that it kind of takes a lot of that out because it is about the well, let's throw pokeballs at each other and jump off the stage and fly back on. <laughs> well, and have special I mean, moves. And, but you see that also with the 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 hardcore levels of play that that come up in that game. Uh, a lot of people who play that more competitively take out all the extraneous right, crap, and, and and I think that's a problem. Like I because I think when you at the end of the day, I don't like I don't think that the fighting game aspect of Smash Brothers itself is really that good. Like, I think that you could take those ideas and translate them into a fun so what what you're saying here is that either Smash Brothers should just be played as it was intended, which is just a well, fun de- way I to beat up that. your friends. I definitely think that. That's not that's, that's true. at the same time, you can take that simplified combat set and apply it to pretty much any other fighter out there. Yes. To make a refined well not not any other fighter like i think if you actually did that to the actual fighting games that people like they would be unhappy because that's i mean yeah. people who are playing street fighter are doing it because it's what they so like ultimately what you're saying is we should all play dive kick well i definitely think that um <laughs> uh but that's that's also because i think dave uh dave lang i think is is a genius and an awesome dude um but you know he, he's one of my favorite people in game design but um no what i what i think is and here's where the, the contra design comes from is I think ta- that the thing that I don't, the thing that I don't like about Smash Brothers is that people try to make it a fighting game when it really isn't. It's a game about goofing off and having fun and chaos and they try to turn it into a fighting game. And the problem with fighting games is that only the very top level play. It. So there, there actually is a guy who's trying to do this and I forget what, uh, it is, but his name is a uh, Seth. Shoot, I can't remember anybody in the in the um, anybody in the fighting game community anymore. Seth Killian, Seth Killian, um, who is who also used to work on Street Fighter Four, and he designed um, something. But he actually was working on a game about mech fighters um, that kind of plays like the old, uh, that kind of looks at least like a remake of that old Gundam fighters. But it's it is a very very simplified. I think it's it's also like a four button kind of thing, and kind of basically working on the on the uh, Smash Brothers sort of press a direction and a button and he will do this thing. So it does do a lot more of the mind games and it's been really interesting watching people play that. And I think maybe that's sort of the thing is the contra design that I'd like to see is take out the learning cliff in fighting games and bring it down to a learning curve where people can get into the meat of the game and into the fun of the game so they can actually enjoy in instead of 50 hours so in. they can actually enjoy <laughs> the challenge of actually having an intellectual fight with your opponent and right. not making it feel like you're you know a baby battling yes and i should also point out that uh, the guy who who coined the term yomi actually went on to make a board game called yomi fancy which is uh the sequel to i think puzzle strike right which is okay. a uh which is actually very similar to dominion uh it's a very odd game um so I think that's one. Well, that's two now. I mean, we did cover... Or sorry, that's another one, I should say. Yeah. One type of game that we can actually talk about that I think actually has done its own Contra design is adventure games. I mean, so this isn't really a design challenge for them so much, but I mean, we're also not solely about designing games here either, obviously. No. Adventure um, games, you said? I, I mean, I think adventure games have really gone from... Maybe not as much as they should, but they are. I think they have at least gotten somewhat better... Is you know old old especially the old Lucas Arts and even Sierra for different reasons were really all about like let's let's 
trick and stump the player and make it really hard to figure out what we actually want them to do. It was it was a it was a uh, <coughs> choose your own puzzle adventure essentially. It was yeah, a big was, puzzle. Well, um, it was a big puzzle, but it was also a lot of it was really obscu- like a lot, some of those some of the, the solutions were really obscure. Some of them were really stupid. Like you know, and, and especially with like the Sierra, the Sierra games, it's like. Oops! You missed a step forty hours ago. Now you're gonna die, and there's nothing you can do, and, and you, will you have never to start know. from the beginning. And you have to start over. From, and some of that was because there weren't as many games. People had more time. They, you know, yeah, you know, they wanted games to last longer. So you know, you had to replay it and replay it and replay it. But I mean, I think modern adventure games have actually done a pretty good job of getting away from a lot of that. Although I will also say that, ironically, I think one of the very first adventure games is actually probably one of the best about that. Which is uh, that? Maniac, Maniac Mansion. Oh. I, mean, I think Maniac Mansion, <clears throat> I mean, not every puzzle is straightforward and obvious, but I think it's actually a lot more intuitive because it doesn't have a lot of the weird combination effects. It's much more of a a board game sort of push and pull type of thing where it's like, well, I'll try giving this to this person. Oh, no, that didn't work. Oh, no. And because you have the three characters, you could sort of try different combinations. But then their immediate next game, in fact, the sequel to that game, Day of the Tentacle, I think is rife with all sorts of insane puzzles. And some of them were really funny. Some of them I really liked, but some of them were so obscure that I wound up having to go online and look them up. Cause I'm like, I, I don't know. Uh, oh, okay. So apparently I have to go and get this one thing and give, I have to do this to get these teeth so that I can give them to this guy. So it makes it look wasn't, like he's cold so that I can get this pistol. So I can give it to this dude. Wasn't there one where you had to like feed a mouse in like the beginning of the game. And if you didn't do that, that's uh i think that's one of the king's quest games yeah that sounds right yeah but but you know i think like like some of the later telltale games i mean obviously now telltale has basically turned into just choose your own adventure style games with ever since pretty much the walking dead but yeah but i think even like i haven't played thimbleweed park but i've heard that it's um it's done a little little bit better at sort of getting rid of some of the random combination puzzles i know the cave really did some interesting ideas with uh, so was that the cave? The cave, the, the 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 Ron Gilbert one from about four or five years ago. Yeah, I remember. I think I had that on my tablet. Uh, you yeah. get like two or three people, and and you yeah, go you to take the cave. three people down, and you go down at the same time. Yeah, the the narrative in that was actually really good. Yeah, I, I, I really liked that, and I I didn't feel it was as weird as some of the, you know, s- s- as obscure and confusing, and and I didn't ever really feel like i needed guides in the same way that i did for I, like even so even like the strong bad games i had to look up sometimes because i'm just like although in some ways the strong bad games is almost harder because the homestar runner doesn't follow any logic at all no it, um, it never has no and and, and the, so having things be weird and obscure in that game actually makes a little more sense than they do in you know some of the monkey island games that say where it's like oh of course i had to get the of course he would want to fish, but not that. Like, I mean, like the red herring joke, I think, is a great joke. That one was instantly obvious to me. Uh, but the one where you had to get the meat and then take the meat into this guy by getting a mouse to make the chef run away. I was just like, what? Okay, sure, whatever. <clears throat> a lot of those games is, uh, I think, with uh, that particular line of games, is, is a lot of just uh, make sure you do everything. Yes. And fortunately, or, uh, it's, it's not usually a case of if you do everything or you don't do everything you you die yes you don't lose time yes although i will say i went back and played a uh, full throttle recently and the parts that i had played before were really easy and the parts that i had not played before i could not figure out at all <laughs> so apparently that like it, you know that that 
you know, at some point, I don't know that that's ever going to. At some point, it's memory makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean that's true. Like, like I got through the first like ten or twelve screens of that game in about twenty minutes, and oh, yeah. then it took like an hour to get through the next two screens. So, yeah, it, that game is weird. I love. I really like. I had forgotten how much I really liked that game, and I still haven't beat it though. So. Full Throttle is awesome. Full Throttle is great, and it's out on uh, iPad for like six bucks or ten bucks. Fancy. I wonder if that's on my. It's probably in Humble Bundle. It's either it's probably either in Humble or it's it's on GOG for fifteen bucks. It's probably on Steam as well. I think I got a copy of it somewhere. Yeah, it's. I, I really like that game. Um, it was nice getting to go back to it. Yeah, some of this is it's kind of going to be tough because uh, most of what we're doing here is trying to find things that we want to change in gameplay anyway. Right, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, I guess that's true. But I mean, I think t- directly countering is, is slightly different than, than how we usually talk yeah. about it. Um, well, okay, right here, um, why don't we come up with a game or two that we really like and how we would build something different or contrary to it. I think that's that's yeah that's a lot harder actually because yeah that's, that's going to be the big challenge isn't it? Because the problem mm-hmm. with that is like the games that I actually really like I usually think don't have a lot of major problems that I'd want to directly contradict. Um, okay, well, wouldn't be a challenge unless we true. tried something different. Yeah, all right. Um, so let's see if we can figure out a way to change something that we actually like. Actually, all right, I have one. Go for it. So I really, really, really like the Hitman series. Okay. But you know what I really don't like about the Hitman series is how many people you have to kill. I mean, actually, you don't have to kill that many people in it because... Well, just the fact that you're you, you actually going out and people. killing people. Yeah, but I mean, could we make... Actually, it's probably not that hard, but could you make a completely nonviolent version of Hitman? Uh, well, obviously, yeah. Um, You could do a, a, some sort of stealth, I don't know, delivery game? Self-delivery. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking you could do a, like, a, like a Mission Impossible style game where you're a spy... But I feel like at some point the the question is then how do you get costumes from people to infiltrate without killing them and without having them come back to bother you? Because like, you can knock them out, um, but then you run into the same problem that you run into with like Thief of, well, what if they're discovered? Uh, well, I mean, you could use gadgets. Sure. So what are you going to do? T- uh, take them and then string them up to the ceiling? No, no, no. More like, I don't know, scan them. I suppose, but I feel like at some point, even if you scan them and take their identity... Like, they're still out there somewhere. Somebody's probably going to re- rec- Like, they might run. What if you run into that? Well, them? that might be part of the challenge. Like, like you're, in, you're in an environment where you're, like, trying to get into a building, mm. say, and there's a security guard that goes inside and outside. So part of the challenge is scanning them, okay. using their identity to get inside and not be detected by him at the same uh, time. That, that would be interesting. And also having to deal with the fact that there might be certain parts of that facility that that particular security guard isn't allowed to go i mean that's that's yeah that's already part of the the hitman games although what would be interesting is i mean the one thing that the hitman doesn't really do very much is i mean i guess they they have they they made a little bit of a concession to this in the in the newest one where like certain guards will recognize that you're not that guard but what they usually don't have is except for the most recent one has been like, it's usually like guards of this level aren't allowed to be here, but it's not usually, Oh, these people are friends with this guard. Like I said, the new one actually has done some of that, but it's not usually like, Oh, like these people are in this guy's squad. Um, so you have to avoid all of them. But I think with a game like that, it would be even better because it wouldn't tell you. Um, and I think that's actually kind of what makes it. Yeah. I mean, in, in Hitman, it turns into more of a, tactical thing where it's like oh well i gotta avoid this whole area but if 
you didn't know in advance that all these people might know who you are, then you have to be really careful. And also then you could turn it into more of a, you could add more dialogue into it to make like, cause they'll be like, wait a minute, you don't look right. Who are you? Um, yeah, that would actually be really interesting. And you could actually, you could actually even do like a James Bond style game for that. Yeah. Of course there's the, what's the goals going to be for this particular game? Well, I mean, if you're a spy, I think it's pretty obvious. Oh yeah. I guess you could do something like that where you're just trying to get in and, and the point of it is, is you have to, you can't like kill people because it's. Yeah. Or I mean, or, 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 I mean, I guess at the very high end of, of spying, you probably are assassinating world leaders and stuff, but like, you know, at least in, unlike in Hitman, you know, you're not killing 400 people to get to them sometimes. Um, yeah. Um, or you could actually do it, um, the game Hammer and Sickle actually had a really interesting idea where uh, that was a tactical strategy game uh, by the Silent Storm guys, which unfortunately, uh, because they only ever put it out on CD, has never come to any other thing, and is Star Force, uh, is literally unplayable on anything that newer than Windows 7 because everything newer than Windows 7 sees Star Force as DRM and will instantly delete any program that uses it. <laughs> um, thanks, Star Force. Um, so I have literally never been able to play that, not been able to play that game in about 10 years. But um, they had a really interesting idea because it was... So So uh, Silent Storm is a tactical game very similar to XCOM. Mm-hmm. I think I remember. Older Wait. XCOM. It takes no. place during World War II. Uh-huh. Emerald Sickle takes place during the Cold War. And you're not a you're not a squad like you are in World War II. You are a, an agent who then picks up recruits other agents in the field sometimes. But if you kill too many people and you never know how many too many people is because it's a secret variable, you actually cause the Cold War. So you can, that's cool. You could kill anybody you come across. Literally anybody in that game is killable. But if you kill too many people. You will cause the second, the Cold War. So, or, or I guess you cause you the Cold War the, to go The Third hot. World War, right, I you guess. You cause World War III. Um, That's so a cool. It's this, so it's this constant balance of, well, I can kill these two people and it will make it much easier to get in here. I mean, and, and obviously sometimes there is going to be combat because there are hostile enemies who are, you know, you have to get into bases and sometimes you're going to have combat. But there are also times where you're just out walking in a city park or you're surrounded by 40 people and it's like, well, I can shoot my way out, but if anybody sees me, then I need to take them out because they're going to report it to the Russians. And if I kill them and their civilians, that's going to cause the cold, you know, the, the war faster. Um, so I think maybe even doing it like that, where it's like even Hitman, I suppose you could do that, where it's like, I mean, you already do sort of have that because if you kill people and you get caught doing it, people are going to react. But if suddenly like three people die, it's like, oh man, three people are dead. Something weird's going on here, and then like everything gets locked down like that. Like, I think there are really interesting push-pulls and some of that that I'd like to see. But that's not Contra design. That's actually stealing designs. But Well, I got a crazy idea. Okay. Why don't we go Tron style? Okay. Well, um, so you could do something like that, but you're actually trying to infiltrate a program. Okay. And eliminate corrupted code. Or, or in this case, it'd be like a viral code. Okay. And you're trying to eliminate it from different types of... And so it would be represented by, like, a building, like in Tron. Okay. And there'd be people there doing their job. But you can't really delete any of them, destroy them, because they're part of the code. Oh, that would be interesting. And okay. it, so, so you're supposed to preserve the code. You just have to get rid of the corrupting influence of the, mm. the virus. So each time... You, and the virus is taking over the building. So you right. have to get it in uh, as, as whatever algorithm that you want to use. Right. And, and then you eliminate the code, and then it 
phrase the system and, and you move on to the next although one. here's a problem because the instantly the thing that i now want to try doing is is combining that with uh that hack and slash game uh and literally allow you to like delete certain aspects to completely change the code to make the levels themselves change play differently well that would be kind of interesting actually because then you could take advantage of that <laughs> like uh each one oh no that would be awesome imagine building the game so that each one of the like the characters in it mm-hmm. is a has a built-in subroutine that actually builds part of the level yeah so like if you meet up th- the wrong guy the floor disappears ironically i think that's sort of what um uh what's their face was trying to do the, the guys who made darwinia uh introversion that's what i was thinking of, introversion i think they were actually trying to make a game with that a similar concept to that uh before they went on to prison architect and they realized it was just totally unworkable but I don't think they had actually tried the idea. Of, they realized it wasn't really a game. Um, but I think that the idea of then combining it with trying to infiltrate and trying to uh, and being able to eliminate certain parts of the code, changing the level itself as you play, I think that would actually make it a really interesting game idea. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, again, that doesn't really run contrary to any design idea, but it is a really good design idea. So let's not complain <laughs> about I'm it. I'm having difficulty with this whole contra. I, I know. Well, I, actually, no, this, this did kind of start out, this kind of flushed out straight from that whole idea of, uh, of building a, a, an assassination game where you're not actually killing people. That's so. true. Um, that would, that would actually work. And I will say one last, um, let's start at a game that I let's throw out one game that I want to like. I mean, I think, I think there are other obvious ones that we could talk about, like, yep. like the goat simulator, I am bread type games. Like I, like we've talked about those before. Yeah. I think there are obvious changes you can make there. Um, and I think, you know, same with like the tower, like the mobile tower defense games, like, uh, your iron brigades, and mm-hmm. your sanctums. I think there are some obvious choices there. Like don't allow you to walk around, but that just becomes a tower defense game again. So that's not very interesting. No. Um, because, you know, it's really easy to design a game that's... I mean, actually, those games in general were Contra-designed because they took, hey, tower defense is kind of like just sitting and watching towers is boring, so let's allow the player to, mo- to move around. Yeah. Um, but I'll say, let's let's talk about a game that I really wish I liked, and I think you've played some of this game too, so hopefully we can work on this together. Uh, Gratuitous Space Battles. Oh, I really want to like that I game. I really want to like that game. Because there's a lot about that game that's great. The, the ship designing <laughs> is is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first problem with that is is it's not... It's that whole, it's not worth it once you build the ship. Right. Uh, and there's a lot that you just don't... You don't get to work out when you build. Like, if you design a ship, is it going to be effective against those different things? Yes. There's not enough information about the engagement to know what kinds of ships you should be sending out into a situation. Yes. So I think so. I think there's actually three ways. And, 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 and the first one isn't so much contra design as parallel design, which is, I mean, I think the first obvious choice is, A, make the auto, auto-generated ships slightly more closely resemble something that's actually useful and give you a little bit better feedback about what you're doing. I mean, I think that's an obvious first place to start. Um, and I think actually they've patched the game a little bit over the years to make some of that more viable. But I think I here's my first thought about what I would do to make gratuitous space battles play out more the way I think you and I would like that game to be. Rather than it being you designing 25 ships to go up against 25 other ships, you design one ship you really like. And then it plays out like flotilla, but a hands-off flotilla. Okay. So you set up the ship the way you want to, and 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 setting up the ship, I should point out for people who haven't played it, is kind of like designing a sh- designing uh, things in well, kind of like designing games in Luke's favorite game, Space Empires. But um, 
Yeah, you, you have uh, you have the structure of the ship, and then you have mounts yeah, for you have like certain for it. yeah for certain weapons and and modules that improve the ship. And and so you're basically they they give you basically like twenty or thirty blank holes, and then you pick a fleet of them and start filling them with things that you'll be effective. And then they put you up against an enemy. And the thing is, like, part of the problem is you don't know what the enemy is going to be like until the first time you play the game. And some of it's about, like... Like, I think that if, if we were talking about what the game is, quote-unquote, actually about, it's about this sort of developing an intelligence about the thing and coming back and revising and revising and revising. Like, it's no, you're not supposed to go out there and do it right the first time. Like, they don't want you to do that. Like, no. it's supposed to be... I think in the same way that, like, Infinifactory almost is, except Infinifactory is solvable the first time, but it, it's that concept of revising and revising and revising yeah. as a, to sort, it, it, it's sort of simulating the concept of computer algorithms. I agree with that. I think that's what they intended. My problem yes. has been, I never found the revising, revising, revising worth it. No. I didn't feel encouraged to go back and, and like, tweak my ships because it was all so time consuming <laughs> that it was like doing all this prep work and then just watching then it all watching. fall apart it's, it's 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 like all of the ideas of tower defense without any of the like it's not even as exciting as it's not even as exciting as a tower defense game and, I, I and actually, there wasn't enough feedback either right. uh, you don't you see everything fall apart but there's no clear like aha okay so if i had done this with these ships and maybe put some of those ships over there i might have had a more successful i just see ships blowing each other up and you're like what just happened i will say that I, i've now put about two hours into that game or maybe, or maybe more like three or four um steam says two but i think i played it a while in offline mode um, but I really, after playing the same exact encounter for about two hours, I finally did start to get some of that feedback myself. Like, oh, I see. If I attack this kind of ship with this kind of ship and do this thing with it, this... Like, there is actually some of that if you really sit down and observe it. But unless you're the kind of person who really enjoys going back and revising and revising and like The only time I like doing that is with Kerbal Space Program. Well, or... I mean, you also like doing it. Yeah, you like doing it with Kerbal. You also like doing it with art. But, like, those are things that you actually feel fulfilled with. Like, I'm the kind of person who likes going back and tweaking numbers. Like, it's the same reason that I... It's the same reason I'm our audio engineer and you're... Or I think part of the reason that I'm our audio engineer and you're not is I like going back and just really... Like, I really like going back and, and tweaking numbers and stuff. But... Yeah. Um, and I think you prefer doing it in a more artistic sense. But... Um, you know, I, I do think that's the problem. There is there is no instant feedback, and it does require just sort of staring into the machine until you mastered all of it. Um, but anyway, so so what I think I would actually do with this game to make it feel more like, um, a, a, you know, an actual game that might actually be worth it is, it's no is is don't make it about putting craploads of ships in scenarios up against each other because that's not. I mean, because because it, it is again that. Well, you got to go through the same scenario over and over and over again. So what you do is don't just build the ship. You build the ship and the AI routine. Oh. And then you make it play more like space pirates and zombies or flotilla, where you're not just in one engagement. It's you're going through like multiple engagements and it's how far can you get. And you have a vague idea of what's coming down the pike and you'll get like new stuff every few, like every five levels you get some, you know, you'll get some armor or something or you'll get some new weapons or something like actually have a, have a tech tree. So it does feel exciting to go back and revise because you're leveling up, you're getting better, your stuff is getting better. Or actually, uh, like even like FTL maybe. Right. Um, but actually that would be of- perfect. You combine it with FTL and, you know, so you're going around, I mean, you actually could if you wanted to make it play out more like, like Sanctum or like Iron Brigade. 
you could actually combine it with an FTL type game where you build the ship, you set the subroutines, you literally can't even control the weapon systems, but you can control where the crew is and where the crew is stationed actually affects how quickly the subroutines play out. That's a good idea. Yeah. And I think that would be... Because, yeah, I, I think that would solve the, the major problem of the scenarios and not having enough information. And it would solve the the problem that I think a lot of people have when games don't feel like they're progressing, which is they tend to be scenario-based and they tend to be... I mean, they don't. it doesn't even really feel like it's playing for score. I mean, I think there is technically a score, but it's really just a self-mastery. Well, I mean, it, it is what it says it is. It's, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It gratuitous space right. battles. But, I mean, right. And, and obviously, you have to be... You have to be a certain kind of person to get out of that game. Uh, you know, it, it, it is it is the sci-fi spaceship version of, of uh, Football Manager. Mm. Um, and that is going to appeal to something. Like, I like Football Manager, and you will never, ever, ever play Football Manager unless I pay you money to do it. <laughs> um, and I know that. Um, and that's because you and I are different people, and that's fine. Um, but I do think that there are ways that you could make that game feel more like a full game and, and, and actually make it let, I mean, it, it's always going to be a niche game. It's, it's a weird concept. It's a weird idea, but I think yeah. you could make it less niche by doing things, by doing that sort of contra design, make it not a scenario game and make it play out over, you know, over stages. Yeah, I think I agree. I think, I think um, something like that would be very interesting where, where you've got the, the really robust building yes. of gratuitous space battles. And instead of like the really awkward, because you can kind of sort of tell ships what to do and you have a very limited, mm-hmm. having a much more robust command structure, not being able to control them directly, but being able to set subroutines. Yeah, like set your subroutines and stuff. Would be a very effective and, thing. And actually, that would even be interesting because, like, I mean, the thing that I, I've really enjoyed about, like, the thing I really liked about Final Fantasy Twelve, the thing I've liked about two or three other games, I mean, even Kerbal does it to some extent, is setting up, you know, with the staging and stuff is, I mean, the staging in Kerbal Space Program is every bit, if not more important than what you actually put in those stages. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, <laughs> the rockets you use are important, but having the staging correct is equally, if not more important. Oh, yeah, because, you know, it's really annoying. What? Building a complex rocket and forgetting to properly stage the deployment. Exactly. So instead of firing off your thrusters, you just detach the rocket, and it falls on its back, and then breaks all the engines. Right. And, I've and, done that. And with gratuitous... Oh, I think everybody has. And I think with gratuitous space battles, that would also be interesting, because then it's not just about... It's not just about can I make can I prepare properly for the upcoming battles in terms of having the right equipment. It's also can I prepare for it by using the equipment effectively. And I think, you know, in most strategy games, that's the stuff you're trying to do on the fly. And that's actually the interesting stuff is can I prepare can I think far enough ahead that not only do I have a strategy that works with my equipment, but that works with my equipment optimally for whatever threats I may come across. I think that's a, you know, Frozen Synapse, I think, is a great yep. game that does that. And I think putting more Frozen Synapse in other games. The only thing I, I still think needs to be added to something if we were to make that modification in Gratuitous Space Battles is, is you need. No, no, you just need more feedback as to what is and is not working so that you can more, so that you're not spending several hours just trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Well, I will, I will, I will say again, I think if it is one ship against one ship, that feedback is going to be much more obvious. That's true. If you're not watching 30 ships of different sizes. Although I I think, well, I like the fact that, because it's part of what it makes gratuitous 
ship-based battles big as the big fights. Right. Starting small though, so you're only watching a couple of ships. Oh, sure, of or, and then you fleets. build out to. But but I but, but what I mean is I think that if you start with one ship on one ship or two ships on, like watching forty ships at a time is hard. If you've been doing it for forty hours, you're going to know how that's going to play out. In the it's same true. way that like. If you started Homeworld with an entire, or, or even StarCraft, if you started StarCraft with the size of an army that you have at the end, I mean, I guess uh, th- those games take 15 minutes, so maybe not. But like, if you had started Homeworld with the full fleet that you had at the end of Homeworld, you would not have been able to manage it effectively. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you start small and you grow up. And I think that's, yeah, I mean, actually, in some ways, you could almost turn it into a game like Homeworld, except all automated. <laughs> <laughs> except all automated Homeworld. Well, that's our pitch for today. Which, to be fair, is kind of what Flotilla is. It's yeah, a very, very small-scale homeworld. Well, I thought you could actually tell... I mean, you it's turn-based co- commands for each ship, isn't it? Yes, but I mean... Well, that, well that's what I mean. It is, it is, Or, sorry, it is, it is a very small-scale turn-based uh, homeworld. Um, yeah. I love Flotilla so much. But we will I talk about that. that in a while. We will talk about that in another day. Maybe we could even get him as a guest star, but I will cut that part out. Um, <laughs> but no, I, th- I think Brendan Chung is an amazing, amazing designer, and I would love to have him on our show sometime. Um, all right. And with that, we will move on to the mouthwash, and Luke will enlighten us about Ma- uh, Metroid. Vanias. Other M. No. Welcome back, me hearties, to the mouthwash, where we spit fiery hot juice like cannonballs from the cannon of, of, of a boat somewhere that shoots fuck cannonballs. You're about a month late. Talk about, uh, International Taco Pirate Day was September nineteenth. I live. Okay. Whatever. Uh, along with just a hint of uh, mojito freshness. I like mojitos. Mm, mojitos are good. Anyway, today we're going to talk uh, about uh, something sort of near and dear to our heart uh it's a genre that has been um done and redone it's kind of an old one uh, metroidvanias yes i i would actually say there aren't that many that come out anymore well there were a couple attempts and i wasn't there like a recent uh castlevania remake recently well or was that just like a port or like i don't a remember rebuild? uh i don't remember let me look it up real quick um i mean there's there's always a Castlevania game coming out. Um, I think Konami's sh- shuttered its doors, so I don't think it's come out recently. Um, no, it would have been a couple of years ago. I mean, least. they did uh, Shadows of the Damned, I believe, maybe. What you think? Well, apparently there's a TV show. Interesting. <clears throat> Is that like a Japan-only? Uh, no, it's apparently coming out right now. <clears throat> or episode four came out in July, so I guess it's a four-part show. It was an animated TV show. Interesting. Um... Yeah, oh, you know, oh, sorry, think, Lords of the Shadow. Lords of Shadow just came out. Yeah, I out think recently. I remember seeing that somewhere, maybe maybe on Netflix or something. But the other thing is, like, as silly as this is to say, well, it's, I guess it's not, but I don't think most... I actually watched the uh, the Giant Bomb um, Vinnie series, and most Castlevania games aren't actually what I would consider Castlevania, or, or Metroidvanias. Yeah, Lords of Shadow was the last one that came out in 2014. Well, it definitely applies to the older style of games, which is more of like a side-scroller puzzle. Well, see, I would, I would actually say that I don't think that 
Metroidvania, as we apply the term now, really applies to the games until they reached, um, uh, not Lords of Shadow, um, Dracula X or um, Symphony of the Night. That's what I was looking for. Um, or sorry, Symphony of the Night, not Dracula X, Symphony of the Night, which is the first one where you actually had, like up until then, they were basically just, I mean, I guess uh, Castlevania 2 a little bit more so, but up until then, they were basically just straight form state forward uh, level-based platformers where you would go from one edge of the screen to the other end and then you'd fight a boss not not that far off from your um um not that far off from like uh you know your uh, double dragons or your final fights i gotcha yeah that makes that makes sense so the further along <clears throat> you got um the more it actually grew into what what we consider a Metroidvania today. Yeah. Like and I, I think Metroid, the original Metroids more fit in that category. I, I actually think, uh, again, that actually like the original Metroid isn't, I mean, it, it is a Metroid game, but I, I think that, um, that both of that, uh, the, the super Nintendo one, uh, Metroid, um, not Metroid three. What is it called? Uh, I own it. I should remember it. Super Metroid. It's just super Metroid. That makes sense. Um, they were into Super back then. Yes, they were. Uh, I think Super Metroid is actually really where it went, where it started because it had a map. Like the first Metroid did not have a map; you had to draw it yourself. Um, and I think the addition of the map is what really sets the precedent for these kinds of games because all of them, like all of the games that I think of as Metroidvanias, which I will say I think is a terrible term, and we'll come back to that later. But um, I think all of the games that I think of as being that type of game really come down to that they all have that similar style of map where each cell is filled in and it has certain symbols to represent things that you either can find or can't find or have, or sorry, can find and have found. Um, And then they have like special abilities that you find that unlock certain things. And then you find like tanks and stuff and, and extra, like extra ammo and extra heart containers um, and I think, I think those are sort of the two major hallmarks of a Metroidvania game, but like the original Metroid did not have a map and the original Castlevania games, uh, were straight level based. So I actually don't think that it was, I think it was actually, uh, so the, the placed Super Nintendo PlayStation area where they really came into their own. So technically speaking, what you're telling me is that neither of these games actually fall firmly in the category of a metroidvania right i think there's actually i think it's six castlevania games that i would call metroidvania games and four metroid games i would call metroidvania games um so it's symphony of the night and then all of these uh, all of the ds and game boy uh castlevanias uh which is harmony of Dis- dissonance area of sorrow aria of sorrow um <clears throat> lament of innocence dawn of sorrow and curse of darkness uh, and Portrait of Ruin, and maybe Order of Ecclesia. And then uh, I think it's Super Metroid, and then the two Game Boy Metroids, which were Fusion uh, and Zero Mission, are the three that I most think of. Metroid. Oh, and Other M. Uh, well, okay, so there's there's Metroid. Metroid 2 Return of Samus was the Game Boy. That one actually probably... I think that one actually has the map, too. That one actually might be. I've never played it. Super Metroid for the SNES. I think that's where it really started. Metroid Prime and 2 don't really count. Metroid no, those are first-person Fusion, shooters. Zero Mission, Classic NES, Metroid would go back. I think Fusion and Zero Mission are the two that I most think of. Fusion is one of my favorite yeah. of that genre. And then Other M is definitely a Metroidvania. Yeah, and we're... we're 
Well, not quite. I mean, it, it really gets close to the formula. I mean, it's it, it has a it has a little bit of the shooter stuff, but it's it, otherwise it's pretty similar. It's it's very similar, and I, mean, I think it was a really good attempt. Pr- but pr- it kind of falls flat. In some Prime ways. would be if not like if you took out if you took out the first person shooter part, it could be. Um, Actually, think, yeah, because it does it follows have a map. A, a, the other for- formula, pretty well, and it, it does follow that formula of going to rooms to mm-hmm. unlock things, fight the bosses in certain places. And, I was just terrible advance. at that game. Oh, I love that game. I have the trilogy. I don't think I ever got out of the first. Um, maybe I'll have to borrow that from you at some point. I don't think I ever got out of the. There's that part at the very beginning where you have to use the the whip to like get out of the exploding room, like maybe two hours in. Mm. Like right before you, like right, like is that in like the lava area? No, no. I mean, like you, you have that first mission where you go to the space station and okay. then it's exploding, and you okay, and you get an exit. Yeah. I don't think there was any whip use in that actually, or there was jumping or something. I I never got out of there. Oh wow! Like I never got off the space station. That's not even two hours in. That's like fifteen minutes. Uh, okay, maybe it was a little bit past that. I remember scanning the giant bug. Yeah, and yeah. then you fight it and blow it up. Yeah, and that was about where I ended. <laughs> I think that took me about an hour, but maybe I'm just slow at that game. Well, I, I did a lot of exploring. If you're having difficulty with that, and, and I'll say now, especially if you're a keyboard and mouse player, yeah, getting used to controller scheme is is well, rough. I actually had no, I had no issue with with the GameCube controller for a lot of things, but for that game, it just seemed to. I think it was, there was something where I had to do like a jump, and or actually, I don't even know that it was the controller so much as it was the no, I I, I the will perspective agree with stuff. you. The way it it might not be the controller, but it's definitely how the game plays. Yeah, there is a weirdness, especially in the first one. You kind of got to get into a, like a efficiency of motion in the game, or it's you're terrible. You know what it is? It feels like really early um, console shooters. Like it feels like a pre Goldeneye. I was gonna say it feels like a pre Halo game. Yeah, like like Halo, Goldeneye. right? But like <laughs> the problem is, I played it after I played Halo. Yeah, um, and Halo. As much as I don't think it changed as much about the genre as you know, Halo fans like to say it does, it definitely revolutionized the control scheme. Uh, that wasn't so much Halo as just Microsoft's eff- efforts with the Xbox controller. Well, yes. The Xbox controller completely changed how we look at controllers. Yes, but I think I think Halo Halo was the one that first sh- sort of set the standards for how it. Yeah, was. it was well, it was a tool Microsoft used to unify. Exactly. and I, and I think that you know going like. Yeah, and, and so going back to a game that feels very much like a golden eye is very hard to get used to. Because I, I didn't play that game until about eight years after. Like, Metroid Prime 3 had already come out when I went back to the first Metroid Prime. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was a little bit behind the times. Uh, maybe it's something I'll borrow my GameCube back from my sister and play it. Or maybe I'll borrow it from you and try it on the Wii. Because the Wii has the, has the controller pointer, right? Like, you could point like you would with the Wiimote. Oh, yeah. yeah no, if you, play, if you play Prime on the Wii or the, uh, the Wii U... Uh, with the controller, it's really good. That may, that might be the way to do it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll borrow that from you at some point. But I mean, yeah, I think even if we count those in the group, I think that's, you know, half half of the Castlevanias are not Metroidvanias, and you know, there are at least at least one Metroid game that's not a Metroidvania, which is so. If they're not Metroidvanias, or or Metroidvania doesn't really apply because most Metroid and Castlevania games don't quite fall into that category yeah. what would you call it well so my thought is so well first i'm going to say that like the the i just want to say because this is the thing that first really frustrated me about this um because this is my pet linguist peeve uh because people really care about my he's, feelings 
He's got a lot of linguist pet peeves too, people. Yeah, yes, I do, and it is it is the thing that I think pe- that's what everybody tunes into is my thought about linguistics, right? Um, and, and dictionary definitions and whatnot. Um, so anyway, one of the guys from Retronauts, I think it was Retronauts, uh, Jeremy Parrish, basically said that he he that the only reason people don't like the term Metroidvania is because they are stuck up uh, linguistic prescriptionists who feel that it's being misapplied to games that don't actually meet the their criteria of uh, a Metroidvania. And I think that that's unfair. I think that, um, first of all, there is an importance, important to distinguish between uh, linguistic prescriptivism and definitional unification for purposes of distinguishing between similar characteristics. Uh, in other words, there's a difference between saying all games must adhere to this formula to be X versus... Most of these games have X, Y, and Z, so we should probably lump them all together for people who are looking for more games with X, Y, and Z, um, which I think is something we will get into later. Uh, but so my point, my thought is I really like the term subway RPG or maybe labyrinth game. I like the idea of labyrinth game. Uh, maybe you should explain what you mean by subway RPG. I don't remember seeing any subway cars in this game. Well, no. So At any of the games. So... You know, subway subway trains are basically long tunnels uh, in between various stops. And I think in a lot of ways you can look at most Castlevania or, or more, most Metroidvania-style games as, um, uh, you, you know, as, as these sort of long tunnels of bad guys. And in, in, in many cases, literal long tunnels that you're either climbing or walking along um, in, in, in very long hallways. Uh, and then at the end, you get into this big open room and fight a boss or you get to a bit, a very small room and you get some sort of power up. And so, you know, those are sort of like the stations along the, the subway route. Okay. Um, and so, and so the reason that I, that I actually disagree with Mr. Parrish about this whole linguistic prescription prescriptivism thing isn't that I think that people want to call Metroidvanias to close down the concept of Metroidvania. I actually think it's because they want to open the definitions of Metroidvania in the same way that, you know, I've talked, I think we've talked before a little bit about how I think that roguelikes have a very, very strict adherence to this is what it means to be a roguelike and things that are outside of that are roguelike lights or roguelites or, you know, ever, you know, various other terms that people apply to them. Just filling the entire genre with chaff. Right. Whereas I think it's very important to say that, hey, I like games that have X, Y, and Z, you know, like I like. There are certain aspects of the formula that I very much enjoy, and there are certain aspects of the formula that I don't really enjoy, but it would be nice if I could say, well, hey, I like games like this. I'd like to find more games like this, and I think that the very rigid Metroidvania definition actually makes it very hard to find a lot of games that are kind of similar. For instance, a game that I would say is very much in that style, but is not typically referred to as a Metroidvania game uh, but I think would definitely fit into my subway uh, RPG theming or my labyrinth uh, theme is uh, Dust and Elysian Tale. Yeah, I remember that game. I so didn't play much of it. But... I, I mean, I hate the art and, and I hate the art in that game so much. And I know that some people will say that's because I hate furries. No, it's because it looks like bad deviant art. Art. Uh, sorry, Brad Shoemaker. Um, I'm, I'm specifically calling you out because you harped on that for six months in your podcast. Um, it is not because it look it, it is made by a furry. I don't care. It's because it looks like bad, 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 bad deviant art. I'll probably cut a couple of those bads. But 
Um, or multiply them. Yes, or multiply them. Um, you know, I don't care. I like, you know, I enjoyed Tailspin and Dark, you know, Darkwing Duck, but at least make it look good. Um, and also don't make, also don't give it a squeaky high pitched character. Those are irritating. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, it is a game where you are going around and a lot of people put it into like the, the brawler style genre, but it's really about you going around collecting various power ups. It actually, uh, I, in Steam, it's tagged as action platformer, indie, Metroidvania, oh, it is. RPG. Okay. Well, th- I mean, th- those are user tags. So I think users have probably come to see it that way. But I know Redefine when first... it, yeah. I mean, I think action platformer is, a, is not that far off from the Metroidvania genre either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's... I think Dust is actually one of the better in that genre, actually. Um, despite my dislike of the artwork, I think the story is good. I think the, the gameplay is good, even though I'm not great at it because it's all combo based. Mm. Um, but I think that's a really good game. And there's a lot of games that actually come up from Metroidvania. I was going to say, my, my top of my list would be Guacamelee. <laughs> Guacamelee. Yeah, I think it's not the first time you've tried to get me to play that I, game, actually. I, it is a game that I'm not sure you would necessarily like because it is very much based around. Uh, excuse me. It's very much based around. Um, Dia de los Muertos and uh, the the Mexican uh, Mexican death death. Uh, well, it's, it's based around luchadors, but it's also based around um, like Mexican the Mexican religious beliefs about death. Like your character dies, and then the story starts there. Um, but you know, I don't know. You really like um, Grim Fandango, so you actually might enjoy it a bit. But it, that one's like a literal direct Metroid parody like to the point that at one point you bust open llama statues that look exactly like chozo statues and then a llama comes <laughs> and gets mad at you and teaches you fighting moves llama, llama, llama. Um, but i mean i like you know i like luchadors but i don't think you have to like luchadors to like guacamelee um at one point you know strong bad shows up in the game does he really well there's a poster with him ah well, of course, because, you know, Strong Bad is your resident uh, internet mean, luchador. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a literal luchador. I believe they refer to him as El Bado Strongo. I think they do, yeah. So, that, that may be, I think that's what the poster says. So, yeah, I'm going through the list here. The Swapper comes up. I know that was a highly rated game. I'm not sure I would call that... It's close. I'm not actually sure I would call that that. I would put... In the same way that I wouldn't call Portal a first-person shooter. Well, funnily enough, it doesn't <laughs> seem like it actually comes up. Oh, wait. Popular user-defined tags. Uh, yeah, I really like the there. Swapper, but I i mean, I could see why people would call it that. I personally would not. Um, mm. I think, I, you know, and that's, and that's a me. I mean, for me, because so much of that game is about um, the puzzles and stuff, I feel like it... Well, I think... I think um, to some extent, maybe not a big amount, there is some puzzle effects, uh, effects, a puzzle details in, in some Metroidvanias. Cause I, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that puzzles don't make it a Metroidvania. I'm saying that the way that the puzzles work feel much more like... It's more puzzle-oriented than you would expect? N- no, no, it's because the way... Th- because it feels like you can break a lot of the sequence in a way that you can, you know, if you know what you're doing, you don't necessarily need to go out of your way to get, like you can skip certain things if you're good. So in other words, you're saying that it's, it's too easy for you to break the game and potentially it was the intention of the, the designer to allow you to do that. Sort of. I feel, I feel like it's only a Metroidvania if you follow the exact prescription that he wanted you to follow. Aha. Okay. Um, 
I would actually put uh, Mark of the Ninja. I mean, Mark of the Ninja is still <clears throat> very much level based, but I feel like it is close to a Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. Um, not not fully because again, like there is that final level, but there's also that like while you're, or it is not a Metroidvania, but it is very much a subway RPG, a subway game. Here's one. Uh, what about Rogue Legacy? I would say that. Oh, Rogue Legacy is very much so. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that's that's probably the most recent I mean, one I can is... think of because that's that's uh, that's pretty awesome. I mean, Ro- Rogue Legacy is basically a roguelike version of Castlevania Symphony of the Night, it's... I and mean, that is the most direct I could think of. Yeah, it is. Um, and I like Rogue Legacy a lot. Like that's it's a really good game. It's a great game. I, I remember. <laughs> uh, it's very hard though, which yes. I guess falls into the le- le- that category because. Those types of games generally well, are known for their challenge. I think the reason it is hard is because it is a is less because it's a, a Metroidvania and more because it is a roguelike. Um, because there, it, because there are bo- because there are enemies in that game that you simply can't beat at level one because you just don't do enough damage. That's true. I think in truth it kind of combines mm. both mm. aspects to make an even more challenging combination of yeah, the two. I, I was going to say it is it is it is more challenging than most. Because, well, that's the thing, because it, it, it takes advantage of the difficulty of skill-based yeah. platforming and combat. Yeah. And then layers on top of that, as you said, the whole fact that uh, you can come across enemies that are far too difficult mm-hmm. at your current level. And the game encourages you to die, to perpetuate yeah. the, the genealogy of your your And, and it does kind of take and, away some of the... Um like, people who are really good at, at Metroidvanias can beat them in several hours, whereas, you know, it usually takes me 15 to 20. Um, but I know, like, the difference between my playtime and several of the reviewers uh, who made who played the game, uh, playtime for Rogue Legacy, is only about maybe two hours. Um, like, they were saying they got to... They, they, they were on Generation, like, 145, and I think I was on Generation 170 or something, so maybe 30 extra minutes or so, but not... Or, or, or a couple hours, but not, you know, 20 Oh, here's like, a game. Like, I know Metroid Fusion actually has a has a <clears throat> special bonus ending you get if you beat the whole game in less than three hours or five hours or something. Ah. Here's an interesting game. Um, this is an interesting... I just said interesting twice. I'm starting to lose my voice. This stinks. I'm starting to lose my mind. Uh, how about um, another Metroidvania <clears throat> out there? This is just turning us to recommending Metroidvania. Well... Not really. We're, having, we're discussing. That's true. Uh, insanely Twisted Shadow Planet. I have not played that. I don't think that. I don't think I have either. Oh, okay. I just saw it and I thought it might be one of those games you've played. Uh, we are kind of entering into territory that I don't play much of, but well, I have I have a bunch more. My um, looking at this, this is very puzzle oriented, and it's like I don't see a map. But I didn't realize you could buy it on Steam. Yeah, it's been there for a while. I know I know people consider it a Metroidvania. I have not played it. Uh, it really doesn't appeal to me all that much. Yeah, it's actually in the top of the popular user-defined tags. Uh, okay. um, I think the big difference there is, oh, there's bosses, um, and it's a little more creative, but mm-hmm. it does have the 2D scrolling, a large area that you need to explore. Yeah. Not so much a map thing, but I don't think that's a primary concern in my opinion. Just as long sure. as you have to like <clears throat> navigate around to complete Tasks. All right, I have one that based on. I'm not sure this is a Metroidvania, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure what else I would call it. Go for it. Um, La Mulana. La Ma- what? La Mulana. Oh, you know, I've heard of that. La- it's very much there. I mean, there is some. I've heard of that one. 
there is some puzzle to it. There's a lot of platforming to it, but it's all it's all room. It's room based more than hallway based. But I mean, some of the late, some of the later uh, Castlevania games were that as well. Looks like it definitely <laughs> has bosses. It has bosses. I just the game is so weird, and there's so much like strangeness. In it's, some ways, it's like an adventure game because there's like mysteries you actually have to solve. I'm just never sure what to call that game, but I would almost put it there. Well, they call it an archaeological ruin exploration action game. Well, sure. So that kind of, it does kind of feel like that kind of, well, I guess not. I was going to say it sounds like a Metroidvania because that's a lot of what you do is you're exploring yeah. the area and 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 it's actiony. I will I will say it's a great game. I'm not good at it. I haven't beaten I haven't even gotten to the first boss, but it's it's a really interesting game that is worth looking hmm. into. Um So here's one that What do you think about Spelunky? Oh, Spelunky. Is that a Metroidvania game? Oh, uh, I'd say it might be a Metroidvania light. I it's lacking certain key features yeah. because it's more level oriented as opposed to being just like a like it most of the Metroid games are like you're in like a big station and you have to explore the entire station. True. And it's not like although advancing you, as you go. Although you, if you think, I mean, it, it is linear and it, 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 it is more linear than, than either of those yeah. types of games. Because there's a lot that, of backtracking, in my opinion, in those and in that subway style game. It's not true. just going forward constantly. It's also going back. So I think that kind of does Although I would, it in that regard. I would say that, I mean, you can't go up a level, but I would say that good Spelunky players do tend to go back and forth in a level a lot more That's than true. newer players do. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it. It's one of those games where it's like, it's not quite a Metroidvania in the same way it's not quite a roguelike, but it's kind of a little does, bit of both. It does touch upon it, yeah, doesn't it? Touches yeah, touches it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of good games do that. You'll, yes. you'll find aspects of a lot of good game genres uh, in mean, any game. Good game design is good game design, no matter where you are. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I think allowing for multiple play styles is something that a Metroidvania game does very well. Right. And that Spelunky also happens to do very well. Mm. Um, so I'll bring up one that you may have played, hopefully, because so I don't have to talk for a few seconds here. Um, <laughs> Aquaria. Oh, Aquaria. Yes, actually, I think that does. Um, I've played a, a, a least an hour of that, mm -hmm. and it was it was good. And it had a story-driven um, exploration where you had to go from place to place, and, and a lot of it was was exploration. Just, uh, but um, there were bosses. Yep. And there was a lot there that was similar. I don't recall if there was a map, but you're definitely... Uh, there, there is a map. I remember that. Uh, there's definitely a lot of looking around in that game and, like, dealing with... I will also say, to some extent, I'm not necessarily sure the map in and of itself is, is key, but just the feeling that there is a very a, a like definite a, map structure a, in the same way that... Like, the original Metroid, it is really hard to tell when you are in different areas. In the right. way that is not in later Metroid games. Yeah, more it's more not not necessarily maps. A feeling Specifically, of progression. It's like regional areas. Yes. That a feeling, you... a feeling, let's say a feeling of progression and of backtracking. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I so I will I will actually say that I had the same problem with with I'll actually bring up two different Metroidvania games. I'll let you talk about this one a little bit too. But there are two Metroidvania games that I could not play just because they freaked me out too much. Aquaria is one of them, just because the, I don't know. There's some like. Well, you know my feelings about being trapped underwater, but also just that game is really kind of dark and a little creepy. Uh, there was a lot of dark elements to the story, yeah, definitely. Is, it, there is definitely some creepy... And, and just the music is very creepy and dark. It actually reminds me a lot of uh, Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> Echo the Dolphin. Um, where is that you your... fight the aliens at the end. Yeah, that, well, that was 
That, that was a creepy game. Yeah. Well, I mean, it didn't start out creepy, but when you hit that, it just completely changes yeah, the game Yeah, when you get eaten by you. the Asylumorphs, it gets kind of scary. Yeah. Um, but I will also say another one that I really liked and then could not play because it creeped me out too much is uh, Axiom Verge. Oh. Which I'm sure you've at least seen, if not played. I've seen it. I'm trying to remember what that was about. That Hang was on. the one that's... Um, Sadly, I haven't played it. It feels very H.R. Geiger. Oh, oh yeah, I've seen this on, uh, and I didn't know what this was about. Um, it's there's a, it's, a it's all like glitch based. So there's like oh. these place there's places where you'll find like glitches, and then you'll go off the map, and you'll be stuck in these glitch zones, and that freaks me out. Like anyway, like I'm talking this about game, that. This game just just exudes this vibe of Metroid, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it is the most Metroidvania game I have seen out of all that whole genre. Yeah, I think that's like, it their really goal, feels it? like a, yeah, a Metroid game. I can see why this would also creep you out because it's very also H.R. Geiger. It's very H.R. Geiger. Um, yeah, so you have that and the music is really dissonant and weird. Yeah, just everything about like, I really wanted to like that game because like, it's fun to play, but I wound up just not being able to play it because it was so weird. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, this is definitely interesting. And the giant faces, I think, especially. Like, I kept expecting them to, like, come to life and, like, start eating my, like, eat my character. <laughs> I can believe that. Uh, that's definitely interesting. Yes. Yeah. I will um, also say, while we're on the subject of games that I don't like so much, uh, Unepic, I really think is a bad game. On Epic. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, I mentioned that to you before we were recording. And it's just... I don't know. I, I'm going to go back... I'm actually, now that I'm talking about it, I want to go back to it. I think part of it is, like, you can't use... Like, you have to use mouse and key... Like, you have to use the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, where I... Like, especially with games like that, I really feel the desire to play with... Uh, like, m- like with, with Metroidvania games more than any other, I want to play them with a, with a gamepad. Like, right. <clears throat> Uh, actually, um, oh, you're going to keep going about that? And I was going to say, and it just, the game just feels very loose. Like, it feels like you could j- jump over things constantly. The hits don't feel very satisfying. Everything, t- like, everything just feels really slow and loose. Right. And I think, I think for Metroid games, because they're so platformer based, like, they really need to feel tight like a platformer. Or also, like a Mega Man game. Also, you mentioned the fact that it was like, way too zoomed out and i think there's there's a reason for that if you see too much of the map it kind of kills some of the 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 feeling of scale oh it actually actually i don't have an issue with that like there are parts in um like i i don't have a problem with that if it shifts zoom let's say because there are parts in um there was a really amazing part in uh, castlevania symphony of the night where usually it's it's fairly close up on you your character takes up and let's say it's about a third of the height of the screen. And there's one section where you fight the, cy- the Cyclops and it zooms all the way back. So you can see the whole Cyclops, who's about 30 times taller than you. And your character is this little tiny dot on the screen, basically. <laughs> and I think I think when you're doing stuff like that, it's great. This is just, it's zoomed out. The characters are all very small. And it's kind of hard to see what you're doing. And sometimes there's parts where you have to be very, pers- like, you have to light every single torch in the game. And you have to be standing right on top of it to do it. So it just, you know, it just, it all feels like you have to be too precise. Like you have to line things up precisely sometimes. And you don't have that. And you don't feel like you have the precision. Like, yeah, it's just, it feels, the controls feel sloppy. And I will also say the writing is, it's, there's too many memes. There's too many shout out. You know, it's all the, you know, like, like, like basically the, the, I I like the backstory, which is you're playing D&D with your friends 
and you get up and you go to the bathroom and you come back out and you're trapped in this castle and you're like, okay, which one of you goofballs shut out the lights while I was in the bathroom? Ha ha. Very funny. And then every time you run into a monster, you're like, oh, that's a, I've seen one of those in a, in a, in the monster manual. That's a kobold. Okay. Which one of you guys brought in the miniatures? Ha ha. You know, it just, there's a lot of memes. There's a lot of, oh, by Grabthar's hammer. Like, you know, it's just like, <laughs> come on guy. Like, a bad writing can really ruin a game. I, I mean, you know, my, you know, like it's weird. Like I like for somebody who likes putting in references and allusions and in jokes, I really hate them when they're blatantly in your face in other things. Yeah, I found another game. Like clever um, ones are good, but don't I've be... played a lot of this, um, okay. and this is, uh, I think, a very good example of a Metroidvania. V v v v v v. Yes. It's, it's very broad. There's a lot of going from place to place to unlock things. Is there any... There's l- no bosses, I don't think. Well, there's no... Well, it's, I, I don't know. It's I would, more challenge. I would say the platforming is a, is bosses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I in some agree. ways. I mean, that is that is a that is a massive core platformer for those who have not played it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's by, it's uh, really cool. Is it's, it by Terry Cavanaugh? Uh, yes, it actually is. I love Terry. I love everything Terry Cavanaugh has ever done. And the writing in that game is really good. And it's, it is. It's, it's minimal. And the music, but is it, good. it 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 tells a story, a yes. weird story, but it is actually a good story. I, I would say the only thing that I'm not sure makes it a Metroidvania is that I never feel like there is a. I never feel like there's any like progression in terms of power ups. Like I never, like you never get anything. Mm, that's well. I, I mean, mean, you get more no, skill, you unlock maybe. you 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 free people. Well, you free people, but you don't get like like you never get the various suit. You never get the ice beam. You no, that's the, true. There, there's no loot. There's I mean, no loot. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of I, I will say that the one thing an Epic does have that is very cool is they have like it actually has loot in the same way that like uh, t- uh, torchlight. Okay. Like there is there is like you have a huge inventory system and you can actually combine loot and stuff. So that that is one thing that it, the, that was the thing about it that made me interested in that game. Well, a good loot system is always good, and and yes. I like I like being able to combine stuff. Um, if the game if the gameplay was tighter, I think that would be a perfect game. I I really should play more torchlight too. Torchlight was great. We should play I, that multiplayer at some point. Yeah, we should. So here's a game that I'm not sure. I have it as a... Uh, you, you can see whether people have it on the store page. I guess some people do count it. Uh, the Shantae series. Oh, I've seen Shantae. Um, I really... I, I, I want to like Shantae. I, I like the character of Shantae. I like the artwork. It's a very happy game. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just is. find the, the way... like I like the, pl- the, the actual gameplay of the game. I just feel like it's very. Um, is this is this like more, the way that the map is laid out is kind of frustrating sometimes. Is is it more mapped out like a, a Metroidvania or is it linear? A little bit of both, actually. Um, it's it's actually sort of more like Torchlight Two in the sense that there is an overworld map and then there's like like levels that mm-hmm. you go into. Um, but what I say that the way it's mapped out is weird. What I mean is it's all a two, it, it is a three D world mapped onto a two D plane. So like there are there are planes and then there are like connecting highways between the planes. Oh. So I get lost really easy. In that yeah. Game. That would be awkward. Some games have done it very well. I think, I think Shantae does it about as well as you could be expected. It's just awkward. Like I've never found mm. a game that does it very well. That's too bad. Um, so here's a game that I'm not sure whether it counts as that. Oh shoot. I'm actually, I can't get this game to work. I've not been able to get it to work for months. So I'm probably going to forget what it is called. Oh, mercenary Kings. That's what it's called. There is a lot of backtracking, but it's sort of backtracking in the same sense as like Monster Hunter, 
because you just keep going back and replaying the same levels over and over again. Okay, yeah, that's not exactly the same, though, is it? But you're doing it to get loot. Like, you're doing it to mm-hmm. get drops and stuff. Okay. Um, and the gameplay itself plays out more like um, <clears throat> Contra. Contra. Okay. So it's one of those, like... Oh, I like the style. I'm well, not sure know. that it's a... I'm not sure that... Again, it is not a Metroidvania, but it might be a Subway game. Yeah, I could see that as uh, a map. Yeah, I could see that. I really wish I could get that to work, because it's a really... Actually, you know what it plays a lot like is Metal Slug. Like, Metal Slug meets Contra. That looks cool. like Metal Slug. It does look like Metal Slug is definitely inspired by that. Yes, very much so. I just wish... Excuse me. I just wish that I could get it to work, because it has not worked in a very long time. I don't know what's wrong with it. That's uh, I deleted bad. it and reinstalled it, and deleted it again and reinstalled it. Ah, that's terrible. See, I keep I keep going through trying to look at these, and I keep coming into what I guess you would call like brawler style platformers, like uh, Shu and Volgar the Viking and uh, Rayman Legends. There's a lot of that. I'm not sure that those fall into that category. No, no, they don't. But I, I that like those are what I keep seeing here. Um, what about Trine? Or is that just a standard platform? I think that's too linear standard platformer. Okay. Yeah, it's a good I mean game. it's it, it is a good game. Uh, there's definitely not enough looting. I think. No. I think it, as you advance, you can unlock abilities. That's true. It's all level based. Um, so it's not kind of the same way. Yeah, like like uh, blocks that matter is sort of the same way. Like that's all level. I, I guess you know what we should probably take some time to talk about um, is. Oh, here's a game that is semi well i guess it's still more when you're platformer but a boy in his blob not a good game not a fun game to play which is terrible because i love the concept of that game i was gonna say but it's a game that everybody should own for one very simple reason you because when you get the blob and you stand next to him and you press the down button your kid hugs the blob and it is the mo- and he goes mm-hmm, and it is the most adorable thing and i will just sometimes when i've had a bad day i've played the well, according to Steam, I've played it three minutes. I've definitely played it longer than that. I've played it for a couple of hours. And at one point, I spent like 12 minutes just standing there hugging the blob over and over again. <laughs> I've got that for the Wii, and I didn't even know that was possible. Press, I might have to go home and hug the blob. Press the down button on it. That is that is the best part of that game. Uh, <sighs> Let's see. What, what do we got on Metroid Prime how about the 4? New, how about the new DuckTales? Or the old DuckTales? DuckTales? Well, I mean, the new one it wasn't a remake of the old one? Uh, it's a lot harder, but yes. Ah, uh, I remember well, no, hearing there's about no, that. Because there's no level ups. Mm. Um, although, ironically, it's by Konami. Oh, no, it's not. It's by Capcom. Never mind. Oh, is this a new one by Capcom as well? Uh, yes, it is. Capcom. Way forward. Oh, way f- Well, okay. That's why it's bad. Well, way forward also did uh, Shantae. So maybe, I don't know. I don't like the new Cap. I, I do not like the new DuckTales game. Too hard or just... It is. Well... Uh, not not they challenging, add, just hard. Right? They add, they added in bosses in the middle of the level, and they 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 did just they made everything a little bit more. Um, is it linear? No, but it is level. It is level based, but the levels are not linear. Hmm. It's like um, uh, oh, I know a game. That, I know a game that is definitely, 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 definitely a Metroidvania. What's and that? It's one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. Cave Story. That was on the list. I was going to mention it. I'm glad I didn't. Cave Story is the best Metroidvania game ever. You, no, you're right. Because it is... Uh, I remember, uh, you know, in proxy of that, I'm also going to bring up Fez, but we'll go back to that. Mm. Mm. Um, cave Story is really good. There was a couple of reasons I couldn't get into it, and I think it was my own <coughs> fault, honestly. I cave didn't, Story is really hard. 
it's very hard. And when I get in into a game like that, if I walk away for too long, yeah. I have difficulty picking it back up. But oh. I think that's what happened to me. Otherwise, when I played it, I enjoyed it a great deal. What, what I will say is start over... Find a Saturday afternoon where you have nothing going on, and like it, it is a it is a five to six hour game. You could beat it in an afternoon. Okay. Well, maybe someday, sometime when I you know not feeling half dead, I will do that. Yeah, yeah. I will stream it. I'll just top on yeah, Saturday I, afternoon. I would totally watch you play that. And um, I will stream out Cave Story. Ca- Cave Story is, I don't know. It's it's getting really hard. I've had a lot of games come out that I've really loved in the last few years, but. At one point, Cave Story was in my top five, like, of all yeah, time. Cave like, Story, Cave Story is, is amazing. Uh, I will readily admit. And the music is awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, backtracking. I think Fez is, even if the only upgrade you get in that game is the Fez. Oh, no, there is, a, there is two other, other stuff? upgrades. Oh, okay. One of them you have to beat the game to get. Fun. I just love it when you get some sort of oh, upgrade. Oh, no, it's that... a good... Okay, well, here's the thing. There's actually multiple up. All right, Luke, do your spoiler alert uh, warning. You're just going to insert it, aren't you? No, I don't have it. You're going to have to make oh. one. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. You heard me right. It's a spoiler alert. Batten down the hatches. Run for the hills. Josh is going to spoil something for you. Perfect. Um, I mean, whatever. It's a nine-year-old game at this point. I think everybody knows. <laughs> I don't know. I'm almost worried about spoiling it for you. How much of Fez have you figured out? <laughs> Nothing. I got to the owls. So remember when we talked about the witness? Yeah. Fez makes the witness look like child's play. I've heard that. I know that there's some really mind-bending things that happen later on in the game. Not even later on in the game. You could find them within ten min- within about 25 minutes. Hmm. Um, so... You know the golden cube that picks you up? Yeah, and, and wait. You know the weird sideways writing? Mm, not enough. So when, so when he picks you up, he goes... Oh, yeah? That's a language. Oh, yeah, I know that. He okay. made up the languages in the game. Yes. There's a way to decipher those. Okay. You find it in the game somewhere. I don't want... There, there is a block in the game somewhere that tells you how to decipher that. Uh, it, it has a very well-known, famous phrase that has every letter in the alphabet in it, next to a couple of things. languages. No, next, next to a thing that prompts you with what that actually is. And if you decipher the writing on that block, you can figure out what all the letters in the game are. There is somewhere else in the game that shows you what the numbers are. There is a third thing in the game that shows you what all of the key inputs represent so if you press the left key or or the left trigger it 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 shows you a symbol associated with each of those if you put those three things together you could then decipher all of the languages in the game including things like the bell which has numbers which tells you which side of the bell to hit first Uh uh-huh it also tells you things like how to unlock the solar system because you have to align the solar system in a specific way you have to set up the clock in a specific way um I, I see we're go- getting somewhere with this. And at some point, apparently, I have not gotten this far because I have not actually read any of the spoiler guides because I was trying to figure it out on my own. And at some point, this game gets too complicated for me. But I at least know it is out there. At some point, one of the solutions is you basically have to figure out the theory of relativity. Like, you have to prove the theory of relativity with, like, you know, because it's a math problem. You basically have to figure out how to prove that math problem uh, write write that math problem as a mathematical proof in the game, as I understand it. 
Like, okay. it is basically built on you forming certain mathematical proofs to unlock certain things. Like, that's why I say that in some ways I think Fez is the most amazing game ever made, and in some ways I absolutely hate Phil Fish. I was about to say, this This is making me want to say right now, Phil Fish, you are a big, dumb jerk. I think Phil Fish is both the is both a genius and so far up his own butt that he can lick his own tongue. Um, <laughs> lick his own. Okay, <laughs> that was a new one. <laughs> but yes, or lick lick his own tonsils. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, it, mental image unwanted. Thank you, Josh. I mean, in in the same way that I think you know, Braid and The Witness are both like it's one of those like Braid and The Witness are very smart. And it feels like they want you to also feel smart, whereas Fez feels like Phil Fish is very smart and wants you to know how smart he is. Yeah, um, I think we discussed this in the previous. We, I think we discussed it in our witness episode a little bit. But, yeah, but that's that's why I say that to some extent that's what it feels. You know, that's why I say that is because he does weird stuff like that with it, right? Um, and that is all hidden in there. So basically, what you get at the end of the game, if you beat the game. Uh, you get a second Fez, uh-huh. which allows you to fly. Whee! Now, here's why you need to fly. Right. So that you don't have to do the platforming anymore. So you can play the game through from the beginning again? Yes, because the thing is, most of the puzzles that you need to solve, you can't just... I mean, you can get to them, but it's a pain in the butt to get... Like, at some point in the game, it's not... Like, after you beat the game the first time, it's literally not a platformer anymore, because you can't... You don't ever have to jump again. You just fly everywhere. Hmm. It's Fez is the weird Fez is the weirdest game ever made. No, yeah, it's very strange. Um, and that's why I say, on the one hand, it is literally a Metroidvania because you are backtracking everywhere to find these power ups. But the power ups, they are power ups for the player, not for the character. You are literally unlocking knowledge about the world, which is which is interesting. I have to admit, it's, it is it, it is a what's it is a very it is, it and the witness are possibly the two most meta games ever made. Mm. All right, I guess uh, we're getting kind of close to wrapping this up. Probably, I'm just uh, gonna go back and say, Cave Story is the best game. It's one of my the best games ever made. Okay, so before we we wrap this up, I wanted to ask really quick, what games have you been playing recently? Anything you want to recommend? Um, yes, or, or denounce as horrible. I've been playing three games recently. I've played a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of um, Dwarf Fortress, which is, as we talked about last, because we talked about it on the last episode, actually. Um, it's still great. It's still terrible. It's still great and terrible for pretty much the same reasons. It's always been great and terrible. Um, it's it's a headache in code. It, 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 it's it, the most fun headache you'll ever have. It, it, it is a ton of fun, and it lets me do things that no other game has ever let me do. Uh, on the flip side, the interface is still completely unmanageable and useless. Um, I've been playing some Prison Architect as well, which I really like. And uh, the game that I'm going to talk about here for a minute is uh, Near Automata, which is probably the best Square Enix game I've ever played. But which is saying a lot. Certainly the best Square, certainly the best Square Enix RPG I have ever played. I, I think it, I would put it. I mean, Hitman now being a Square game makes that hard to decide between, but. Square's two most recent games are my two favorite games they've ever put out. And it is definitely my favorite RPG. It is dark in a way that, well, I guess some of their, some of the Final Fantasy games have been very dark, but it is really. Kafka. 
I was actually going to say Final Fantasy VII more than more than even Kafka. To some, in some ways, there there is there. Kafka is a dark character, and the world of Ruin is a dark ending. But the first half of that game feels fairly light and friendly, um, right? In a way that Final Fantasy, VII, you know, it's less dark and more uh, like nihilistic, I guess. Like Final Fantasy VII feels very nihilistic, um, and Near is very. There is something going on in that game, and I cannot wait to get to like. You want to get to the bottom of it. I really want to get... Like, it is the first game that I've ever wanted to get through faster so I could finish, and at the same time did not want to get through faster because I'm having so much fun playing it. Like, it's a good... It is a good action RPG in the same way that I think Kingdom Hearts, which used to be my favorite Square game, was. Like, it, it plays very similar. The leveling up is good. The characters are cool. There is really interesting stuff going on. There are some mysteries going on. And the world is both really well drawn and designed. It's beautiful. Also, cloth dynamics. Also, I love cloth dynamics, and I really love dresses. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, like, the fabric dynamics are so cool. And you know I have a thing for fabric dynamics, I know. But um, it is... There, just everything about that game is amazing, and it really bothers me that so much of the game became about the fact that the character's skirt would occasionally ride up, or, or not ride up, but that occasionally when the character does the the main character does flips, you can see her panties, and that's became what eighty percent of the game's discussion about was about. Because I mean, seriously, the artwork in that game is amazing. It's fun to play, and the story is like the story is on on par with Skyrim's. I would say in terms of just scope and just depth and in terms of kind definitely of, sounds like something that's worth checking out it is something that you would like it is something your wife will hate um for very similar reasons to why she hated skyrim um she doesn't hate skyrim no but she kind of hated the story in skyrim because nope. there were no good sides like everybody's oh jerk. well that that whole thing is always frustrating yes. that's something we should actually talk about it is something but I, I i will definitely say i feel like near is near is near is weird because there is both no good sides and both good sides at the same time Right. Everybody's evil and good at the same time. So, uh, what, what have I been playing? playing? Uh, I just picked up a little Stardew Valley last night. I might mm. play more of that, but uh, honestly, it's a funny thing because Amy thinks of that as kind of like a lazy game. When it is a lazy game. It's not for me. I can't handle it. I don't know why. It's something about the way I think. When I'm tired... You are so tied into the, you are so tied into the calendar. I... You, 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 no, I'm not sure. Or not the calendar, but like the, the fact that I think the fact that it's every day is a time is, is essentially a, a a 15 minute long timed mission. I bet is what gets to you. Well, it's part of it. I mean, like it's fun in some ways, but it's exhausting. So here's a question: uh-huh. If you weren't ADD, would it stress you out so much? Probably not. That's I. Well, I, I think, suspect that's why. I, I think a lot of the problem I have is constantly like walking off to do something, realizing I forgot something important back at the house, turning around and running back, and be like, I just wasted all this time. Right. Like I said, I think if you were not ADD, you would like that game a lot more. And, and it's kind of funny because my, my wife laughs at me when I say my idea of a relaxing game is Kerbal Space Program, building yeah. rockets and shooting for the moon. It's very. It is much more straightforward. It is because oh that was you, the other game I played I streamed I mean it's one thing to like put in the the the, <laughs> the detail into to it and like design now every single part of a module to get to the moon and back yeah but it's another if you just want to putter around and just build whatever and see yes. if it makes it or not because that is fun it's 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 sort of like the people you know it's sort of like how I say that you can play Counter Strike in a very casual way even though everybody tells me that only hardcore gamers play. Counter Strike, like no, you can play true. it very casually. A lot of those types of games are all about the attitude that you get when you go right. in. And that was the other game I forgot to mention. That yes, I did a stream of Kerbal, and I will probably do another one 
later this so week. So will I. Kerbal Space Program is one of our mutually uh, approved games. We both love Yeah, Kerbal we, Space we actually should do an episode about that. I will say I don't like it as much as you do, for sure. Oh, absolutely. But I, think, I, but but I respect I mean, I'm a, a lot. I'm a crazy space fanatic. So. I, I, I respect it a lot. I don't actually enjoy it as much as you do. <laughs> But like I said, I mean, it's one of those things. It, like, I, I do I, not find that game relaxing at all. I know, and I know why. It's because your your passion for the numbers I, I, I'm, makes I'm a, a difference. Remind me, when I get home, I'm going to send you the Delta V map. That's okay. going to be something oh, you'll love to have. I have the Delta have. V map. You have it? Yes. Oh, good. Or I, I know where to get to it anyway. It's on the Kerbal Wiki. I print it out. I oh. print out a copy. It gets destroyed by my cats. I print out another one. See, it's a must-have see, for me because it's just but, fun. But, but for me... Like, for me, part of the fun, and, and I think this is the other reason why you and I play it very differently, is for me, part of the fun is figuring it out for myself. Like, I don't want the help. Well, okay. So, that... Like, I mean, I've, I genuinely I've already agree made it to the that. moon. I've already made it to Minmus. At some point, this is me just wanting to figure it out on my own. Uh, I I don't mind. I do not mind. Um, Which is silly, because it is I agree all with you. known knowledge. Like, yeah. this is literally stuff everybody knows. I, I agree with you that I don't want, like... To like to figure out how to get to Duna, which is my next target planet, because I actually haven't gotten out of the. Solar I got a Duna. System. I got a Duna rendezvous last night, uh, the other night. Awesome! I'll have to check that out. I, I didn't record it. I um I don't mind the Delta V map because it only gives one piece of information, True. which you have to do a ton of trial and error to make. The rest of it is it makes perfect sense to me that um you 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 build for the target. And that's kind of like part of the challenge is building for the target, knowing that I need this much for this module, yeah. this much for this module, and wondering whether or not I made any mistakes. Because part of the problem that I have, if I was being, if I was going without that, yeah. is building and not knowing whether or not I made it to spec and and just didn't True. didn't <clears throat> execute it properly because I'm ADD, so right. that's always a possibility. Or <coughs> if it's not to spec, and it could be, oh, I was perfectly fine. I had plenty of fuel. I just needed to fly it better. True. I suppose also if you look at it from the sense of orbital mechanics, like that is literally a solvable equation. Like that is, there is there exactly. is a, there is a at some point I guess just a time saving. I, I don't want to have to sit down and do the equation. Yes. I that's not the part that I enjoy. The part that I enjoy is actually building that's to the fair. spec. That's true. I, I guess it's not quite the same as say having Mech Jeb fly the whole thing for you. Okay. Other space game that I played recently, I picked back up, um, just to try it. And you sat down and watched some of the stream last night, maybe? I played for about an hour. I thought you did Stardew last night. Stardew Valley, I played for two hours. I played an hour before that of Starport, oh, Starpoint Gemini 2. I did not get to see you play that. And Is that any good? Because I bought it when it like literally was in early access and I've never just played it. It's so much like sticking bamboo shoots up your fingernails. Is it? Oh, there's, okay, there's, there's good things. First of all... Um, Can you still fly through space stations? I haven't tried. I assumed I'd explode I mean, if I touched them. I mean, when I when I started playing it, it was so early in alpha that you could literally there was no collision on anything. Ah, uh, I'll test that sometime. Let you know because <laughs> I haven't. I, I, mean, I assumed I would. Like I would they didn't hit them like they didn't actually have models. I think it was literally just like boxes with like color like like. Uh, oh well, there's actual like, space stations now. I mean, I bought it like the day it came out on early access for some reason. Wow. Um, let me see. So. What I do and do not like about it. Uh, the trading is good. Yeah. Uh, you get a lot of loot from destroying enemies, and you can take up any kind of mission and just go out and do it. Okay. Uh, there's not many very good ones. I probably should go hit up a couple of space stations for higher paying missions. 
Um, cause like anytime you're out in space, you can pick up radio signals. I'm making quote marks here. You can pick up radio signals, um, to pick up little like freelance quests for some extra money experience. I've been doing a lot of that and that's fun. Um, the combat is really crappy, although it's nice to have a fire at uh, will button. You just push that and it just is goes it better or worse than X or X three, I guess. Uh, I'm going to have to say it's the same for different reasons. Okay. I mean, a lot of what I disliked about X, it does better. The whole trading mechanic is mm, better. Okay. It, it, it's clear what you can and cannot make for money because the numbers are just color-coded. You know if you're selling it and it's red, you're losing money. If it's green, you're gaining money. Which is good. As long as it doesn't tell you whether what stations will give you money or more money for it, I think that's fair. Well, I, I mean, that's kind of... I would like to have a better understanding of what's what, but I think it's... Well, I, th- I think giving you it the doesn't ability, seem like- I, I, I feel like if it gives you... Like, uh, I was playing a game recently where it gives you a full readout of, here's all the planets in the system, here's how much they will buy it for. Like, I feel like that's maybe a little much, because at that point, it literally just becomes pick a point and go to it. Uh, what I would like to see, honestly, is is if you go if you look at an uh, an an item that you're trading for it should say how much above or below the average how much it is relative to what you bought it there that's important oh yeah those, those half, two i think are fair half the time it doesn't tell you if you're making profit and then it's like oh wait i just sold this at less than i made i, yeah, I bought I- it for and then if it's below profit then it should tell you go to this region not this planet this region go out here and you might be able to find someone who will buy it for you i, I don't profit. know about that but I, I would say maybe like I, I think system average is a good is a good idea and maybe like system and regional average mm-hmm. and then um yeah definitely price you bought it for should be important because like, like if you were an action i mean i guess maybe some of these games expect you to write it down i guess i don't know but i don't um, and yeah, I think maybe like regional average or something. I feel like yeah. even, even say go to the system is maybe a it's, little too much. It's a lot harder to lose money in that game through trading. Mm. I think that X really hurts because it's very zero sum in yes. the money. And it's hard to actually earn money unless you're really good at that, which I'm not. Yeah. So that really hurts it there. X was better with the space combat. Really? Although the turret mode is nice. Because I will say, like, I, don't like the, I don't like the combat in X very much. So if yeah. it's even worse than Well, Starpoint, I mean, X was kind of like flight sim space fighter which I liked which you could do with this but um, I suppose if I was to use a mouse it'd be a little bit easier in fact I did that a little bit last Mm. night and it worked okay Um, I didn't think it was fantastic but it wasn't terrible how is it compared to Rebel Galaxy I mean I know the trading in Rebel Rebel Galaxy Galaxy, is actually kind of bad uh I did not have any complaints about the trading in Rebel Galaxy, but I didn't do much I of it. I thought it was just... Well, I mean, that's the thing. There's never any real reason mm-hmm. to, because you can make way more money killing things. Absolutely. And I think that's the major thing, is Rebel Galaxy isn't a tra- as much a trading game, although the option is there. Yeah. Rebel Galaxy is head and shoulders above Starpoint Gemini 2 yeah. in so many ways. The story is good. The writing is fantastic. Yeah. Starpoint Gemini's writing... Music is great. Is, oh, the music's fantastic. Starpoint Gemini's writing is abysmal. Yeah. You know, actually, you know what? We, we and, and it might be just a bad translation thing yeah. because it, it it's lo- a it's a Nordic game. Okay, it reads like somebody who's not does not know how to translate into English. I, I'm pretty sure that game is is Finnish or Swedish or, or Danish somewhere in that region. And the story is kind of just too blah. Yeah, 
I actually, I actually realized, you know what, it, that, that's what it is. You, you and I have talked before about the fact that I really get frustrated with the writing in uh, Firefly. I think my problem is that Rebel Galaxy is so much of a better Firefly than Firefly is. <laughs> I could see. I, I guess I could see that. There's some really good writing. Also, the music. In, I mean, I Rebel think so Galaxy the music surprises is so good. me every time I play it because um, it's just, it Re- just Rebel, is Rebel, Rebel Galaxy is Firefly meets Outlaw Star. Yeah. Oh, Outlaw Star. Yes. Yes. And like the characters are are dynamic and real sounding and and it's good. I, like I, it. I have I have the that soundtrack saved to my Spotify playlist too because it's so good. <laughs> Outlaw Star or Oh no. No, no the, the Rebel Galaxy playlist. Rebel Galaxy. Is so that's good. A good, Wait. Um is that available on Spotify? Yeah. I'll have to I do mean, that. It's, it's all one band that did it. I think they they are they did it specifically for the game, so. Mm. But yeah, it's great it's it's a very like it's like space country it's so good it is very good yes. uh, oh, and i'm not really a country guy but i like I mean, it it's, it's 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 very it's very classical country i would say it's not modern it's like not modern what kind of, rock country. i almost said uh bluegrass but yeah it's not modern it's more like I would what say country it's, it's very like yeah like merle haggard very 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 old-fashioned a lot of slide guitar yeah a lot of slide guitar old Actually, very much out west music, not really very much Western. like the uh, the Firefly intro. For being honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. very good. Yes, so ah, that's a, that's such a good game. Also, uh, did we talk about Heat Signature? Oh, know. speaking of space games, Heat Signature is. Um, we might have actually talked about it last episode, but um, yes, Heat Signature just came out from Tom Francis, also known as the guy who made Gunpoint and Morph Blade, two of my three favorite, uh, two of my, uh, I don't want to say all-time favorite games, but two very good games. Heat Signature, also a very good game. Not as good as Morph Blade, slightly better than Gunbound. Um, it is a roguelike game about infiltrating spaceships. And this is still in development, right? No, it's it it, it is finished. Heat signatures he, finished. He did not put that into early access because he is a insane human being and an amazing. It is amazing. like Gunbound was his first game. He made it by himself in game in. Uh, it's good. I like I like Gunbound. It, it is amazing to see how far he has gone from that to this. Just the amount of. Like that that man is a mate. Like Tom Francis is one of my heroes. I think he is the coolest dude. Um the Like him and Dave Lang The are combat like my two. system is super tight, very yeah. nice, uh really really smooth. Uh the way everything functions and and like the ships are cool the even way, though they're weird. The way that there is sound when you are in the ships and there is no sound when you are in sp- like the little like the, I think that's the thing for me that I really love about Tom Francis is the attention to just the most minute details like the fact that they that the like breaking like you can shoot out window well first of all there's windows in spacecraft which is weird but you can shoot out the windows to cause everything to be pulled into the vacuum including yourself and shooting the glass brings makes noise but the instant that the the, the glass is broken everything in that room goes silent mm-hmm. um and that is just such a like first of all, it is so shocking the first time you do it. Yeah. But second of all, just it's like it's that's it is that commitment to like it's the same way that when you go to a restaurant, the first thing you should always check is the bathrooms because if they pay attention to the bathrooms, they're going to make for good food. Um, it's that that the attention to detail shows that they're also very c- careful about the bigger parts of the game and the more important parts of the game. And I think that's the thing that really gives me a lot of confidence in Tom Francis as a designer is that he's so focused on every single aspect of that game. I like of his the, games. <clears throat> I like the sense of scale and, yeah. and speed. 
Like when you when you accidentally shoot out a window and you go flying out into space and so you call fast. and you call your ship and you're trying to catch up with yourself and you're yeah. like, Wow, I am moving. <laughs> yeah, like it's really crazy and and it follows like orbital mechanics, like for real. And like like once you start yourself accelerating, you will continue accelerating that way in that direction at that speed until you slow yourself down. Like you don't have to continually hold down like yeah, it's just Every, also, the, the match- everything about it is so tight and just right. Also, I, I loved and, uh, and except- tiny little details. When you hit the brake and near something, you actually match its velocity. Its velocity. It's yes. fantastic. Except for the fact that I don't want to say I'm done with it because I'm not. But like I reached a point where I'm just like, I enjoy it, but I don't. Like I only really kind of want to play it for like forty, like 30, 40 minutes of time. Like it does. It's not a game that I could just sit down and just like it's like. All right, I had fun with this. I'll come back to it in a little bit. I'll come back to it some other day. Like I just- yeah. Well, that's the thing about it. It it's a little dr- uh, it's a little tough because it it's repetitive. Yes. And you can't evade that point. It is. Yes. Um, but it is good enough that you will come back to it. Yes, it's, absolutely. It's not. It's not. I actually, hard. It actually makes me want to go back to Gunbound. Is what it actually makes me because <laughs> I know there's a lot of fan made uh, levels for that. Oh, cool. Yes. Um, yeah, and I will say, I mean, I, I would hope, I mean, I know he's basically done with it. Um, I would hope that maybe at some point, like, I know he said that it, the scope it is at is the scope that he wants for it, and that is fine. Like, I'm not, I, I don't think he needs to do any of this, but I think it would be cool if he was to go back and add, like, I don't know, like, base missions or something. Like, you know, just, just a little. Just more, more, more interesting missions to add some more flavor. Add, 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 yes, just add a, well, not even flavor, just. Variety. I mean, there there is already those those special missions where once you liberate uh, a star, you can do a special like larger scale mission. Oh, really? But I, yeah, the, huh. um, where where you're actually playing as a different character and stuff. Oh, it's in that when you when you liberate a base. Yes, base okay. liberations. Okay. So I, I I would like to see maybe maybe just a little bit more of that kind of stuff, or or like a, like a randomizer where you just sort of have to go in with what you have on you at the start of that, like. Do more of like like more of that stuff, so it isn't like you feel like you're building up to a point where your character is just unstoppable. Yeah. Um. I th- I actually think for me that was where it got to kind of frustrating. Is like I feel like oh well I have the exact la- the exact equipment that I want now. I don't ever need to pick up anything else in the, in the floors. So then it just became okay. How how well can I execute this mission? How well can I execute this mission? It's it's sort of the same problem with like mid level floors on a on a roguelike. Is like well I have all the equipment I need for now. Nothing's super challenging. Just do it right. You, you've either died <coughs> half a million times getting there, or you've gotten the the appropriate loadout, and, and you're now you're waiting. F- and you're waiting for the really big. Yeah, you're waiting for the big boss. Uh, or you <coughs> accidentally walk into a room with a um, what's that called? Um, uh, circus. Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> circus. The, I got two of those in a row. I mean, the thing about. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the thing about Heat Signature is it the thing the same things that most roguelikes kill you will kill you in, in, in Heat Signature, which is complacency. Complacency, thinking you are too good, will kill you. Oh, and yes. that that is, every time I have died, I'm like, oh, I can take this mission. I have all what I, okay, I wasn't thinking about that. It's I not, wasn't la- loaded out right for this one. It's not complacency. It's usually ADD. It's usually me going, I got this, I got this. Wait, where did he come from? Oh, he was there the entire time. Oh, no. Hey, how's it going? Oh, for me, it's always like, okay, I've got the perfect loadout for any situation. Oh, I don't have anything to deal with having seven people in the same room at the same time. Um, Well, I could stand here and not complete my mission, or I could just wait until one of them comes around the corner and shoots. Oh, right, all right. 
Yeah, that's that always what that's always what gets me is thinking I'm thinking I am all set and then turning out, oh, I need something special here. Mm. Well, yeah, that is a great game. So yeah, if you were listening, that is absolutely a game that I think you should pick up. And it's Go very recent heat signature. It's so good. All right, I think that's a good time to wrap up. We've <clears throat> definitely been. All right. Um, if you have any questions, thoughts, or pitch ideas, please send them to us at spitball.sessions at gmail.com. Um, you can also check out our brand new and improved website at spitballsessions.com. Correct. And uh, you can actually comment directly there yes. on any of the podcasts that you see if you have any comments you want to make. If you'd really like to get to us directly, uh, the best way to do it is actually to leave us a review on iTunes because that could be a little bit more general and also it helps people find the podcast. Um, I know that a lot of people don't necessarily listen to the podcast through iTunes, uh, but if you actually want to get back to us with feedback, that is the best way. And it really does help the show to uh, reach more people who might enjoy it. Yeah. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the drell, T H E D R E L L E, or at the drell on YouTube. You can find my good friend Josh here at twitch.tv slash Koholos, that's K O H O L O S, or at Koholos on YouTube. Um, I'm not going to thank, uh, oh, I guess I will, uh, our editor in chief and sound engineer, Josh. Uh. Thanks again, Josh, uh, for editing the podcast. Uh, and I'd like to thank Josh. Hi, Josh, again, for joining me. I'd like to thank every one of you out there for listening to this podcast. Uh, it really means a lot to us when you listen. And again, give us a review. Till Please. The, uh, tune in next time. Till then, keep your feet in the batter's box and your eye on the ball, because we'll have another hot pitch coming your way. Thank you for joining us for yet another fun episode of Spitball Sessions. We hope you had a good time. Please pay attention as you exit the stadium to make sure that you're not run over by any cars, trucks, or other moving objects. If you'd like to contact us, you can drop us a line at spitball.sessions at gmail.com or on Twitter at spitballsession. Please leave us reviews on your podcasting platform of choice so that other people can help find the show. Remember, we can't do this without you. And come back in two weeks for the next exciting installment of the Spitball Session. Remember, only you can prevent bad games. Luke thinks Metroid and Other M is the greatest game ever made. Don't put words in my mouth. Luke totally, totally, totally does not think that Metroid Other M is the greatest game ever made. Luke totally has never, ever said, ever, ever, never said that Metroid Other M is the greatest game ever made. Luke is going on record right now saying that he does not think that Metroid Other M is the greatest game ever made. I just, I just want everybody at home to know that Luke has never even entertained the thought that Metroid Other M is the greatest game ever made. Like, and I, he is not pointing a gun at me right now to tell you that Metroid Other M is not the greatest game. He actually believes that Metroid Other M is not the greatest game ever made. Hey, Josh. Yes. I don't think Metroid Other M is the greatest game See, ever he, made. Right out of his own mouth. I am not putting words in his mouth. He does not think. Like, he, he just is, hit the stop button now. <laughs>